Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Time for another week of Winnipeg Sports Talk and Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Great to have you with us, Andrew Patterson and Michael Remus. An absolutely packed show coming out of, I mean, at minimum, a top three sports weekend of the year. It'll be pretty tough to beat that, actually. Five game sevens in the National Hockey League, two game sevens in the NBA, and a deciding game five for the Manitoba Moose yesterday at Candle Life Center that unfortunately did not go the way of the home team. We'll get to all of that over the course of the program. We will sort of wrap up the Moose series and the season overall. That was, I mean, great on a number of levels for Manitoba, although ending in disappointing fashion with our good friend, the Fink, Daniel Fink, who did such a great job calling the games this week on TSN three. We're also going to bring in Jeff Hamilton. And I hesitate to get too much into this because I just get more pissed off talking about it, but um, they don't have a deal in the Canadian football league right now. And, uh, We'll get the latest on that, see what uh, Hamilton's hearing, how long this is going to go, uh, and why we are where we are. Of course, we'll also talk about some Jets topics with Jeff. Uh, news that uh, another vacancy in the National Hockey League Open, this one in Las Vegas. And uh, one less one is Lane Lambert as the head coach of the New York Islanders. So we'll get to all of that. And then, of course, the Battle of Alberta is set. I think that, you know, without any skin in the game, I couldn't be more excited for a playoff series. It is going to be phenomenal. Just finished up a Monday edition of the Lock Shop with Dustin Nielsen. Uh, needless to say, the anticipation in Edmonton is high. And after what Calgary did last night, the Flames Nation is ready to go. So uh, going to be a great program. Let's get to it. First off, big thanks to all the sponsors that make this show happen, including Aikens Lake, Wallace & Wallace, F Apparel, Vita Health, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Breezy Bend, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Assiniboia Downs, just a couple weeks away from opening day, Canadian Club Whiskey, and of course, Cool Bet Canada. Welcome to everybody with us in the chat, watching on YouTube, and shout out to everyone making the podcast part of their day. Hey, podcast listeners, if you do have the opportunity, go to Spotify or Apple. If you can give us a five-star rating and a little uh, little blurb, certainly helps us spread the channel. Uh, all right, let's get Remus in here and uh, let's get going. How about that weekend, dude? What a weekend it was. Whew. I mean, five game sevens. Three of them went to overtime. Absolutely incredible. Um, sat on the couch all day Saturday. Got as much hockey in as I could. And then Sunday, I mean, we had two game sevens and both of them, we got to overtime. So we were blessed with overtime because I was kind of, I was like, oh, damn, we didn't get overtime on Saturday. Well, Sunday rolls around and there we go. So uh, in a great mood. Well, the nuts the thing, we had five deciding game sevens and the two nothing Oilers win over the Kings was the most lopsided game of five. <laughs> you had one goal games. Uh, in two of the three games on Saturday, and then, of course, a double shot of OT yesterday. Uh, but listen, we'll get to the National Hockey League in a minute. As I mentioned, we will wrap the Moose season up with a fink. Um, also want to give a shout-out to the Winnipeg Ice, who have moved on, and there will continue to be playoff hockey in the city, although it will be on the south side down at the Ice Cave, the much-anticipated collision course between the Winnipeg Ice and the Edmonton Oil Kings is on Winnipeg winning on Friday in five games to move on. And that series is going to begin on a Friday. Uh, so uh, very much looking forward to uh, getting out to the ice cave and seeing that as well. Uh, but Remo, as far as the moose goes, um, first off, I want to give a shout out to David Shapansky, 
who won tickets yesterday, uh, as well as er, uh, Ernie Thiessen, who won them on Friday. Great to meet some listeners out at the games. And Zach Wynn, who uh, was there uh, as well, sitting with me yesterday. Got to tell you, the game on Friday, um, just an absolute barnstorming in the Milwaukee Admirals, a complete domination, especially in the final two periods for a 7-3 win. And it sure did seem like the Moose had all the momentum going into yesterday's matchup, Reem. Uh, the first period, though, was nothing like we saw on Friday or really the majority of Wednesday. Uh, the Milwaukee Admirals kind of controlled the first period. The Moose did not play very much in the opposition end. Mikhail Burden made a few saves, but you know a good break for Milwaukee, a bashed-in rebound, one nothing. An early goal in the second gave the visitors a 2 nothing lead. Morgan Barron was able to uh, continue his strong play in the playoffs with a nice snipe to get the team on the board. Uh, but they just were not able to beat Connor Ingram, who had a huge bounce-back performance after getting lit for seven on Friday night. And um, listen, it was a great series. It was a close series. The Moose probably kicking themselves for not winning one of those two games in Milwaukee. Um, but, you know, anything can happen in a deciding game. And that's unfortunately what happened to the Moose. And uh, that's it for their season after such a great regular season and uh, a really impressive couple performances on home ice to get back in the series. But it just wasn't enough. Yeah, we'll talk more with Daniel Fink, who I thought did an excellent job. Him and Derek Meach on TSN really got a, a great look at a moose broadcast and you talk about Morgan Barron, you know, coming over in the Andrew Coptray. This guy looked awesome in the Calder Cup playoffs. Didn't get in the score sheet in the first game, but scored in every other game. Uh, and then had a, a great game four with uh, two assists as well. So all in all, he had four goals and two assists in the five games. Billy Hainal looking very strong as well in that fourth game that uh, you know was able to extend the series, but couldn't, you know, Connor is tough, tough break for uh, the Moose where, you know, the Admiral's getting what Connor Ingram and goal is just stopping pucks against Colorado and then goes against the Moose. He looked pretty good yesterday. So it was a tough one. You'd have liked to see a better result. Great season for the Moose. They battled a lot of adversity, a lot of lineup changes all season, which we've talked about here. You know, you get to the rink and you don't even know who's going to be in the lineup. And uh, I agree. They needed to win one of those two games on the road. They had a shot here at home. That's what you want. You know, winner take all game at home. But, you know, sometimes you just lose. Uh, you know, one team has to lose. And unfortunately, it's the Moose. And I'm sure Leafs fans are saying a similar thing as well. We can get to that shortly. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to the Leafs in a minute. We'll get to the Leafs <laughs> yeah. in a minute. Much to the delight of many people in the chat, I'm sure. I'm sure. I see Tikona Pauly just mentioned the battle that the Moose showed over the course of this series. And I got a couple messages, especially after Friday night's game, that, you know, the way that the team played, how engaged they were, um, uh, it was more than a couple people said to me, but they saw more jam from the Moose on Friday night than they had from the Winnipeg Jets the majority of this season. Um, but unfortunately for Mark Morrison's squad, it is over. Uh, but we will kind of recap the entire season and the series with Dan Fink coming up in a few minutes before we sort of dive into more NHL talk as well as what's happening with the Canadian Football League. But let's get to it. Well, we may as well start with the Leafs, Reem. Um, I, I, I thought they were going to do it. Despite NER, North End Rick, publicly asking if he could bet on the Leafs to assure, ensure that they would lose. I took that wager for him, just part of my community service. And uh, they got it done. I don't know about you. The the call, the goal that got called back on the penalty to hold the pick, that was a... I mean, listen, I think it is correct call. 
you don't see that called very often, although maybe you don't see as picks as blatant as that one. Uh, but it just seemed like it wasn't their night. Vasilevsky, we know what his record is in uh, clinching games, finally gave up a goal. His previous five games in series clinching wins were all shutouts. Leafs got one, but it wasn't enough. And 19 years and counting for a team that had an amazing season and really played well for the most part against an incredible defending, two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay team. Uh, but for all of those that hate the Leafs, and there are many, quite obviously, they can rejoice going forward. And Although I'm interested in your perspective on this. I don't really think they have anything to hang their heads about. This isn't the choke job against the, the Canadians last year. This isn't some of the, the blown leads in series against the Boston Bruins. This was a 50-50 series right from the get-go, and it came down to the team that had the better goalie and more experience in, uh, in the deciding seventh game. Yeah, I wouldn't get too angry. I know that it, uh, looking on the whole, I mean, the number of first-round exits for the Leafs the last couple of years, it's not great. But this isn't blowing a 3-1 lead to Montreal, who was terrible, or collapsing in the third period in Game 7 against Boston. I mean, you lost Game 6 in overtime. Game 7, you lost by a goal. You know, that pick play, I, I don't know if I, I didn't hear the whistle go, so I was kind of surprised that it was called back when you watch the replay. It was definitely, that's definitely a penalty. But Vasilevsky, I mean, I mean, Jay, Jack Campbell was great, very good, but Vasilevsky was on another level. They had pressure. I thought maybe the Leafs passed it around the outside at the end, trying to find the perfect play and, um, you know, spent a lot of time on the, on the perimeter there. But I mean, this was two teams going toe to toe. It was a, a matchup worthy of the conference final, but in the first round, I, I think we can all agree this playoff format is you get the best matchups early instead of, instead of in the conference final. Well, so, listen, I mean, yeah. let's face it. I mean, now we've got Tampa, Florida, yeah. and I'll argue that that is easily, if not a better series and a better matchup than, than well, the first round. Uh, and that's just the, because of how deep the East was, right? Like the East is such a powerhouse and you'll put the Leafs in the Pacific division. They'd probably wreck all the teams there. So uh, I wouldn't get too down for Leafs fans. I'm curious what they'll do. I don't think they should do anything, anything major. I'll probably tinker around with some depth, some depth pieces. But as far as trading, like, you know, well, Tavares isn't going to trading. I see here, oh, we got to trade Nylander, trade Marner. I mean, these guys, these guys played pretty solid. I don't think, I don't think this is any, anything to overreact about, although I, I've seen a lot of overreaction, you know, since, since Saturday. Well, what do you, you expect? expect? Yeah. What do you expect when, uh, um, and listen, a any other scenario? I mean, if they had just beaten, say they had beaten the Habs last year and lost to the Jets. And that, but they at least won a damn series. I don't think the reaction would be the same. It's just that it's been going on for so long. Um, they, you know, there's some first round matchups, you know, depending on what division you're on that can be, um, I mean, unfortunately one team's got to go. We thought the same thing about that Minnesota St. Louis first round series, the wild are gone. And now the Leafs done in seventh, uh, seventh game. We'll kind of talk about that a little bit later on as well with Tim Campbell, get his thoughts on the playoffs overall. Um, the other action, Remo, from Saturday was the Edmonton Oilers. Um, well, we'll get to the Bruins and Hurricanes in a minute because, of course, the Canes are going to be taking on the New York Rangers and all Jet fans will be cheering on the Rangers to hopefully see them move on and have that second-round pick turn into a first-rounder. But I was just in awe of Connor McDavid uh, and Jonathan Quick, to be honest with you, on yep. Saturday night. Yep. I mean, we're going to talk a lot about Jake Ottinger and what he did last night to keep his team 
in a game they had no business being in against the Calgary Flames. Uh, Jonathan Quick did the exact same thing on Saturday night. But when it came down to it, um, that was Connor McDavid. The Connor McDavid show showing that he can put a team on his back. He's the best player in the world. He raised his game on Saturday night if it was possible. And uh, what did he have, 14 points in the series overall? And he, yep. he also got shut out in one of the games. I mean, just an absolute masterpiece by McDavid, willing his team to victory, showing why he's the best on the planet. And even with an injured Leon Dreisaitl, you know, you get that from Connor McDavid night in and night out, you'll have a chance to beat anybody, even a deep and high-powered team like the Calgary Flames. Yeah, Connor McDavid, I mean, he, he can make things happen on his own. The burst of speed he had on the go-ahead goal or sorry, the uh, the second goal on uh, on Saturday. Uh, incredible. Yamamoto, you know, finding him, uh, just putting it where McDavid can get to it. I mean, what a play that was. And uh, John Quick stood on his head for most of the game. Uh, you're like, the Oilers were dominating. We're like, hey, this is still a one-goal game. You could get one of those fluke things. So credit to John Quick. But it seemed like the Kings ran out of gas in game six and seven. And the Oilers really came out, especially McDavid, as you said, if it's even possible for him. I'm curious about Leon Dreisaitl's injury, how that's going to affect him. He didn't take the morning skate today or the practice, neither did McDavid. I know Tim is there. He'll give us a better update. I, it was, I know it was an optional. or seemed like it was an optional from when I last checked. But yeah, the Oilers, I mean, with McDavid, maybe they can give a run. And full credit to Mike Smith. I know a lot of people are on Mike Smith. He had a bad game one, had that giveaway. He had another poor game and a loss. But there he was with a shutout against L.A. And if they want to go far, they're going to need to get a pretty solid goaltending from him. And we had you know, said, oh, they everyone knew they had goaltending problems. Well, after that first game, he was pretty good for them. So maybe he can go toe-to-toe -to -toe here with Markstrom. I still don't trust him. No, I still I, don't I, trust I, him I, at I, all. I, I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. But you can't argue with the results. He had a shutout. I mean, you like... <laughs> He has this old style mat, like the goalie mask painted like a goalie from the eighties. And, and you just have these like um, ideas about it. He's going to be play like a goalie from the eighties, but he's actually pretty good. Uh, but yeah, I don't trust him either. And yeah, um, I'm excited to talk to Tim and get the, uh, the lay of the land, what he's hearing from both sides. But one of the, the interesting things just quickly while we're on the Oilers, the ball is a Leon Dreisaitl to play as injured as he was in that game, they weren't even sure whether he was going to be able to play. He was reportedly dealing with a high ankle sprain, which is about as brutal an injury for, uh, you know, I mean, you can try to play, but can't be that effective. He played 22 minutes in game yeah. seven. He played nine minutes in the second period. Ream. I mean, it was really unbelievable how Woodcroft just kept on leaning on him and putting him out there. And, um, he sucked it up and did what he could to help his team, but it was his running mate Connor McDavid that truly was the difference maker. Along with the way, listen, full credit to the 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 Edmonton Oilers, the way they kept the puck in the Kings' end. I mean, they did everything that you needed to win that game. And as I said, uh, Jonathan Quick was the reason why this was an exciting game right down to the final couple minutes when Connor McDavid put it out, put it away with that second goal. Yeah, I I agree with you there, and you know. Some of the uh, Oilers' depth guys. Uh, I mean, Evander Kane, he's got, causing havoc in the corners. He's playing physical. A five shots on goal. Zach Hyman, huge. You know, we're talking about big free agent signings of the offseason. Phil Deneau for L.A., but I think Zach Hyman, huge impact for Edmonton, giving them some much-needed secondary scoring behind McDavid. So Edmonton had the pressure on uh, the whole game. And finally, you know, it's about time they finally got that second one. You could breathe a little easy because it seemed like L.A. could... Score as as we said, we don't trust Mike Smith, but he did 
he did get a shutout, and it seemed like they could score at any any time. But it was Edmonton uh, at home. Look, look great there. I mean, the crowds in Edmonton and Calgary uh, looks like a lot of fun to be at. Nice to see that again. Oh my God, the atmosphere outside and inside over the next couple of weeks yeah. in the Battle of Alberta is going to be something else. I have a little inkling of maybe getting out there for the weekend, seeing some of the boys and taking in one of those games. There is quite a bit. Of, I'll say this. And, you know, you mentioned this before, you know, just as we were getting into the playoffs. I mean, you know, we'd sort of come to terms, come to pe- at peace with the Jets season overall. But just thinking about the good times in this city when the Jets were in the playoffs and when they were making runs, uh, there, it, it's, it, there's a real peace, a real feeling, I think, of missing out for a lot of people mm-hmm. when you see what had happened in Toronto up until the weekend, they're done. But both at, at Edmonton and Calgary, particularly being these Western Canadian cities where everyone goes all in for their team around playoff time. And uh, uh, it's unfortunate. Hopefully we'll be back there. And that made the disappointment of the Moose losing that much more because it really did feel like a, you know, a building sense of support for the Moose and some great games. Would have been so much fun to see them continue with another series downtown. Man, the pictures of that Calgary parking lot with uh, the big screen, everyone packed outside, the celebration after the Goudreau overtime oh. goal. I mean, I got uh, got chills watching everyone go nuts. And yeah, you do remember what it was like here and the excitement throughout the city. It was something you had to be a part of. And I'm getting flashbacks to 2004. I mean, it seemed like the whole country was... Behind Calgary, at least I was. I was here. We, you know, there wasn't there wasn't a team here, so you know, you were cheering for Calgary. Um, yeah, it was it was awesome to see, especially you know, uh, again the last year or so when they had the playoffs last year with no fans. To see the Calgary Edmonton series coming up now, it's good. I think it's going to be pretty bonkers. So I, I they showed that video. It was, it was awesome on the broadcast, oh, and, they, and you had the Leafs, the depressed Leafs fans oh. as well. Which <laughs> so I, you want to talk about the tale of two yeah. cities and the I tale don't... of two outcomes? Uh, right. It was nuts. And hey, Jake Ottinger was brilliant. I mean, they got it to overtime. Markstrom did make a couple saves in OT to keep them in the game. He had, he had to make. Yeah, but I mean, Johnny Hockey finally getting one over the shoulder. Um, what sixty-two some saves for uh, for Ottinger? A brilliant performance. Thank God we don't have to watch the Dallas Stars anymore, though, and we get the Battle of Alberta. And as I mentioned, Reem, we also get to see Andrew Kopp, Jacob Trubin, the former Winnipeg Jets for another series and potentially more maybe turning into that first-round pick. Um, First things first, I'm really glad that Crosby and Jari, frankly, were able to play yesterday in Game 7. That would have been a brutal way for that series to end with the uh, hit, knocking Crosby out for Game 6 and having him not able to play. Uh, But... Much like the other game, very tense. Top players stepped up, and it was the bread man, Artemi Panarin, with the winner. And now they move on to take on the Carolina Hurricanes, who survived a late flurry by the Boston Bruins. Home ice was dominant in the Canes of Bruins series. All seven games won by the home team. And now the New York Rangers, a bit of an underdog going against Carolina, but um, you certainly know where Winnipeg Jets fans' uh, allegiances are going to be in that series. Yeah, I'll do a couple quick hits on these. Max Domi, who they acquired for nothing at the trade deadline, he was a bit, they basically gave him away. Pending UFA. Columbus. What a performance in a game seven. Uh, three points. And you kind of hear, oh, the top two lines cancel each other out and, you know, these big games and. And then, you know, the game seven, it's all about the depth. I think you saw in Tampa how tight that game was. It was the depth scoring for Tampa and Max Domi scoring for them. Two goals, one assist. 
Uh, Jake, I mean, that game was incredible. The Calgary, the Calgary, uh, Dallas At one game. point, the shots were 49-13. It was out of control, the shot disparity. And you're like, this is not, I'm like, this is not good for the league if Dallas wins. I don't want to see Dallas anymore. If Dallas takes away a battle of Alberta, I'm just going to be shaking my head. And then thinking about Calgary, if they would have had this incredible season and just get goalied out of the first round, that would be such heartbreak. I think they have a Stanley Cup uh, caliber team. We'll see. And well, nice especially to... when you consider yeah. what happened to them in 2019. Yeah. I mean, winning the West and bounce, getting, winning the first game and then getting bounced four straight by Colorado and not really returning to the playoffs. Well, obviously there was the bubble, the bubble play-in series against uh, the Winnipeg Jets. But... That was a huge moment for the franchise. And as you said, it was great, great for the league. And, and then here at Pittsburgh, I don't I I think it's kind of, I don't know, it seems weird to just go to, I know Jari's your guy, but one game and off, off an injury, and you've been riding Domingue? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you've been think, riding Domingue because you have absolutely no other options. I mean, there's a reason why yeah. he was the third stringer That's for true. the organization. And you had a guy that backstop them to where they finished this year. It wasn't Louis Domingue that got them to the playoffs. It was Tristan Jari. I don't know. He came off. I mean, coming off cold off injury for a game seven, I guess he must've been healthy. If he's, if he's, what is Blake? We were saying, if I'm in the lineup, consider me healthy. So, but I was happy to see Crosby. I kind of wanted to see Crosby go on to the second round, but if you're a Jets fan, you're definitely cheering for the Rangers. I don't know how that puck went in, by the way, the, I mean, they showed the overtime winner by Panarin. Like, there were three bodies in front <laughs> and, and Jari. How did that puck go in? They showed it a couple of times. No idea. I think that's going to be a good series. And I think we touched on, uh, touched on all of them there. So uh, the we first did. round, well, but incredible. It's going to, the second round's got a lot to live up to here. Bring it on. I mean, to me, it's the Battle of Alberta and the Battle of Florida. I mean, those are the two marquee series. We'll be watching them. I think St. Louis, yes. you know, might be able to take a couple games off Colorado. Uh, and of course, we will be tuned into the Carolina Rangers series. Not that we wouldn't, anyways, but with some special interest because of what a Rangers win would mean for the Winnipeg Jets at the draft coming up in Montreal. Today's news, though, Remus, a couple things. First of all, maybe we know why Barry Trotz is no longer back with the New York Islanders because Lou Lamorello wanted to move on to his assistant, Lane Lambert, who certainly would have been getting some head coaching uh, consideration from other teams around the league. But I think it's safe to say that there is another player in the trot sweepstakes, if you want to call it that, the Vegas Golden Knights, who tied a can to Peter DeBoer today and fired their head coach. They're now looking for coach number three. And, you know, we've heard Winnipeg, we've heard Philadelphia. I think it's quite safe to say that Kelly McCrimmon and the powers that be in Sin City will be making a call to one Mr. Trotz. Yeah, I would have to think so. I mean, if Vegas sees a shiny new toy on free agency, whether it's Alex Petrangelo when you just, you know, committed some dollars to Nate Schmidt or who is Mark Stone or Pacioretty or Jack Eichel, they, Vegas has a lot of wants. And for the first time, they didn't make the playoffs. People are going to pay. And it was Peter DeBoer. I think maybe there were some other issues, you know, maybe the way he handled the goaltending. But I, I mean, they, they had so many injuries. Uh, I mean, their whole top line was out. They had defensemen out. It was just a tough, tough year. And maybe there were some other issues, or maybe they're taking a run at Trotz. And if you're Barry Trotz, it seems like you got a pick of anyone. You're going to be making a lot of money. Wouldn't it be nice to live in the warm weather of Vegas? No, no, no I hear, it would not okay, be. Would I, hear, not. I hear people saying Barry Trotz 
know, he's from Manitoba. Wouldn't he want to come home? You think his family's here? Think no, Barry. It was the worst winter ever. You you don't want to come. You don't <laughs> hey, want to come. He missed that. Here. It was once you in a hundred years. Here. Barry, you, don't do it. Go somewhere warm. You think? No, listen. <laughs> this is what I'm saying to Barry Trotz. I'm like Barry. Think about this. Think about you can be a a hero coming back, turning the Winnipeg Jets around, be a a folk hero forever. You've done it all. This would be the most impactful, special thing that you could do in your final stop as a coach. You want to go to Philly? You'll make a lot of money. You'll be coaching a garbage team with the biggest group of psychos for fans, maybe in all of sports. And as far as Vegas goes, why would anyone want to go to Vegas? There, listen, I know you mentioned the weather. Okay, that's great. Their salary cap is an absolute disaster going to next year. You don't have a goalie uh, that you can count on. And they treat their coaches like shit. Go ask, go ask for a character reference from Gerard Gallant. What's he going to say? Barry, the choice is obvious. Come home. Come home. Back to Winnipeg. <laughs> We'll see what we can make happen. There is definitely some uh, more job security when you're comparing Winnipeg yes. and and Vegas. One, I'll put in Vegas, I believe there's no state income tax as well. So I think your earning power is more. But the Jets seem to be a team tailor made for him. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with that. Yeah, well, we may have to redo that at some point for a little clip, and we can put a public plea to Barry Trotz pointing out the uh, the 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 issues of some of these other teams and why it makes the most sense I, to come here and be the difference maker in your home province of Manitoba, where you, where it all started, Barry. That was a really good sales pitch. I think we should probably forward that to him. Anyone got his family's email? You're right about the Flyers fan. You know, what do you want to get? D batteries thrown at you when you lose? I don't think so. Yeah, I'll ask Christopher Matt, hey, that might not be a bad thing. Sign a five-year deal, work one. Well, not bad. <laughs> I guess, Chris, you maybe have a point. All right, well, we'll have more of this. We'll see what uh, Hamilton's got to say about that, as well as Tim Campbell a little bit later on. We are going to wrap the Moose season and uh, talk about the uh, the series, as well as so many of these young men that might be pushing for jobs with the Winnipeg Jets with Dan Fink in just a second. Hey, a big shout-out to our friends at Aikens Lake opening this week. So much work has been going on in the uh, in the over the last week or so, and they had a plane uh, plane come up of uh, people just to help get things going. They had to build a new dock with all the extra water they've got right now, but they are ready to go. It's going to be the busiest summer ever. If you're looking for a five class fishing de- or five star fishing destination not too far away from the city of Winnipeg. Find out more online at AkinsLake.com, and maybe we'll see you there later on this summer. Wallace and Wallace are Winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialists, serving residential and commercial customers since 1946. If you need the security and protection of a new fence, or if winter's done a number of your on your old one. Uh, they've got you covered. Vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood fences. They've got the right one for you. And if it's time to replace your garage door, they've also got Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors. Give the experts at Wallace and Wallace a call. They'll come out and give you a free estimate. You can also pop down to their showroom at Lawson Road off Keniston or visit them at wallacefences.com. Uh, wedding season just about here. Are you ready, fellas? Have you even tried that suit on that you last wore before the pandemic? Might be time to do that. Bottom line is every guy needs at least one suit that fits and looks great. And F Apparel's custom suits begin at just $400. And now's a great time to pop in. Got about 250 new fabrics, patterns, and more all ready for summer. 
And of course, if you're in a wedding party, talk to them about getting the fellas hooked up. 15% discount for the wedding party when you all get your suits from F Apparel. And hey, uh, after maybe you spent a lot of time on a bar top imbibing, watching all this great hockey action, well, now it might be a good time to pop down to Vita Health Fresh Market and uh, spend a little less of that and more on uh, the best selection of natural organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries. And if you can't make it into the store, you can visit their brand new fully shoppable website to buy online or schedule a delivery with Instacart. Don't forget their great delicious lunch options, Vitamarket salads, soup sandwiches, and more, all at one of their seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge. And again, you can check them online and shop online at myvita.ca. All right, let's wrap moose season. For a guy that's been very busy over the course of well, the last few months, but especially this last week, uh, many of you saw him doing a bang-up job broadcasting games 3, 4, and 5 on TSN 3. It is the voice of the moose, Daniel Fink. Fink, what's going on? How are you? Oh, just uh, putting the life back together after six months of having my head under the ice. So uh, it's it's amazing how many adult things all of a sudden need to get done this week. How did I not get an invite for the Fink section yesterday at the game? I mean, jeez, uh, <laughs> we had the, uh, the the fans of Fink, the, your face on the T-shirts, uh, yeah, some uh, love from the crowd last night. Yeah, when you uh, when you have some crazy ball hockey teammates and a very supportive girlfriend, weird things happen. Especially when she's in control of what can pop up on the screen at times. So <laughs> it uh, it can it can get a little weird out there. But uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was I almost missed it actually. I had my head down looking at something, and uh, Adam Kruger, who's um, the the content team of the Jets, was helping out with the broadcast, starts slapping me on the back and pointing at the screen. So it was uh, it was pretty funny. It was a nice moment of levity, and uh, it's uh, you know what this this past week has been incredible i kind of touched on it on my season wrap-up thread on twitter yesterday but uh to hear the kind <laughs> there it is, there right it is. There. the the kind the kind words uh from literally across the country it just absolutely blew my mind so it was it was really cool you don't get through a season of hockey whether it's on the ice off the ice in the office without a lot of support and uh, luckily i have a lot of people in my corner well, you know what? I mean, as far as the game and the series went, uh, you know, listen, I mean, for me, it was sort of a flashback to a number of tough losses in previous Manitoba Moose history. I mean, uh, the team battling back from that tough start in Milwaukee where they really deserve to at least come back with the split. They didn't get that. Uh, but the big second and third period on Wednesday led into a dominating performance on Friday. And it really felt like all the momentum was with Manitoba going into last night's game. But credit to Milwaukee. They were a different team than the one that sort of shut it down on Friday night. They dominated the first period. They spent most of the period in the Manitoba and Dan. And uh, next thing you know, they got a two-goal lead early in the early in the second period. And Connor Ingram bouncing back from giving up a seven-spot Friday night. A dominant performance and uh, just not enough for the Moose to be able to get it done. Yeah, and hearing from the Moose players after the game last night and coaching staff, they just didn't like the start they got. And that's kind of plagued them a little bit the last month or so, some slow starts along the way, and they've been kind of able to move past it uh, to a degree. Um, but yeah, it, it really stung them this time. And uh, you get behind the eight ball, you're down by one, go in the second period, probably still feeling pretty good. But man, those puck over glass penalties, it just seemed like every time they the Moose had one of those, they got stung by it. And anyone who listens to the broadcast knows my absolute and sheer unabated loathing for that penalty, not just when it's against Manitoba, but uh, I, I still don't understand why it's a penalty. It was That's the best penalty time. in hockey. There's oh, no discretion God. to it. I mean, it's, it's just if it's you true. do it, you do it. Yeah, don't do true. it. Figure just, it out. 
<laughs> I just think it should be the same as icing. No change. But regardless, regardless. Um, yeah, the Moose got stung, and that's, you know what, some late plays in periods stung them in this series, whether it was giving up a late goal in a period with 0.3 seconds left in uh, in the second period in game one or 46 seconds left in game two or a puck over the glass with 15 seconds left uh, in, in game five. Those little plays not so little plays can kind of add up. And when you have a guy like Connor Ingram in the net, uh, you got to get some bucks towards him. You got to get some traffic. And the Moose did that really well in game four, and they didn't get to the front of the net as well. And I think part of that is, I mean, you can really credit a really strong effort from Milwaukee. They got Matt Tennyson back, who's a big veteran leader on that blue line. Don't know how healthy he was. Didn't look like he was skating with a lot of pace, uh, maybe playing on one foot. But you know what? He he gutted it out for uh, what uh, will go under the radar, but is a pretty legendary effort. And he uh, he helped kind of settle things down back there. Milwaukee dominated the front of their net, which is where this series was won and lost for the Moose. Uh, because uh, they were successful when they could get there, and they weren't successful when they couldn't, and they couldn't get there last night. And uh, as close as they came in the third period, I mean, that puck, when Austin Boganski tipped it in the slot, oh. was literally a half rotation away from going over the glove. And they were that close. Mikey Asimov did a post in the second period to tie it up, or looking to tie it up. Uh, and you look at some of the, the sequences in the second period where they had the puck at the top of the crease, and it would just bounce to the offside of CJC, sort of just out of the reach of Austin Pagansky. And they came close, but uh, you know what? Uh, there's there's no moral victories in the playoffs. No, there there isn't. And I can tell you, sitting in the building for all those games, I mean, you could feel the tension. But, I mean, you could also feel Manitoba really making a push in that second period into the third and, you know, that early shot disparity, uh, disparity completely flipped. Uh, and it felt like we were going to be getting some overtime, but that break just simply didn't happen. A um, couple of real standouts for the Moose in this series in particular, and I think we got to talk about Morgan Barron. Four goals, another beautiful snipe last night. I mean, you didn't get a chance to see him for too much before he was called up to the Winnipeg Jets, but since his return... Um, a very exciting prospect coming over in that Andrew Cop deal, uh, Cop trade, and man, did he show it in this series against Milwaukee. Yeah, it was kind of interesting to to watch his progression. I mean, he got to the Moose, and it was almost a really nice little primer because just as he started to really hit his stride, and I think it was in Game Four or Five that he played with the Moose. You kind of looked at this player and went, "Okay, yeah, there's there's something there." And then uh, he goes up with the Jets, performs really well for for a few weeks, and then comes back to the Moose and didn't miss a beat. Sometimes there can be an adjustment there, and uh, there was not. He just came in, and man, he's a powerful body. He's got some skill. He's got that wicked shot that we've seen uh, four times throughout the playoffs. And you know what? He's uh, he's an impressive player. Guys that big shouldn't be able to move like he can or have the hands that he does, but uh, he's pretty gifted physically, and he knows how to use it. So he's definitely an exciting player to watch, and I'm uh, excited to see what the future holds for Mario. Dan, we've spent so much time this year talking about all the talent on the blue line. What did you think of the defense over the course of the five-game series, and was the player or two that really stood out to you? For me, it was Leon Gavanka. Um, and was there a guy or two that maybe struggled as, po- as opposed to what you remembered for the body of work over the regular season? Yeah, I don't know if anyone really struggled. I mean, when you look back at the series, the Moose didn't exactly give up a ton of goals. I no. mean, they lost a, they lost two games, two to one, and one game, three to two. I mean, they it wasn't like they were giving up goals left, right, and center. Mistakes are going to happen. I mean, it, it is, at the heart of it, a very young blue line. I mean, the only veteran back there is Jimmy Olney. So uh, it, mistakes are going to happen. thought Billy Hainala really stood out. I mean, he, uh, he hit a different level the last kind of five or six games of the regular season and into the uh, into the playoffs. And he was... 
looking as Mark Morrison said it really nicely after his post game said, Billy showed us the player he is and can be. And uh, if he can maintain that consistently over a season, it's going to be exciting to see what he can accomplish. But man, Declan Chisholm, uh, he was unbelievable offensively. I mean, he always is. He's a lot of fun to watch in the offensive zone, but uh, when he gets really going, like he did in the playoffs here, he's, he can be electric working with Leon Gavanka. They have such fantastic chemistry. They breed off each other so well. Uh, and it was a lot of fun to watch them go. So this blue line for the moose was so much fun to watch. And when you look back in team history, I may have parroted this stat before on the show, Huss, but uh, it hasn't been since 2000, 2001 that the moose had four defensemen with 26 or more points. And uh, they had that this year with Hanela Kovacevic, Chisholm, and Gavanka. So it's an exciting group. I hope folks realize how lucky we were to see this group this season do their thing. And uh, we'll see uh, how many of them are back on the moose this uh, this next season. I mean, there's uh, obviously some opportunities possibly with the Winnipeg Jets. Camp can, uh, can change things in a heartbeat for some guys. I mean, you can look back to Josh Morrissey and Logan Stanley, two guys who made the Jets out of camp and folks maybe weren't expecting them to. And who's going to be the next player to kind of open some eyes come training camp? It's it's going to be an exciting fall, I think. Well, no doubt about it. And I think there'll be far more focus on, uh, you know, not just Vili Hainala or Dylan Sandberg, but Johnny Kovacevic, uh, as well as Gavanka and Chisholm, who you just mentioned. Dan, what about Mikhail Burden? I mean, what did you think about him in the series, as well as his season overall? You know, I think Mikhail um, overall, he wasn't he wasn't happy with some of how his season went. I think he was a lot more pleased with how kind of the second half of the season went for him. Um, and in that playoff series too, I mean, he had the tough giveaway, obviously that uh, that uh, that happened in the home series, didn't end up biting the moose. But you know what? When he needed to bear down and make some saves, kind of those last three games, he was there. And Burden's a guy who likes to get work. He likes to see 30-ish shots a night, and the Moose weren't giving up 30 shots a night. It just didn't happen pretty much the entirety of the second half of the season. Um, they, they averaged giving up about 25 shots on the season. So uh, for a guy who likes to get a lot of action, doesn't get a lot of action, and then on top of it, when things went wrong for the Moose, it would usually be a pretty great A chance. So that's going to hammer a bit on the goaltender's numbers, and I, th- I think you saw – for all three of the, the regulars, if you will, for Burden, Holm, and Cormier, to a lesser extent, uh, that would kind of hammer on the numbers, especially the save percentage a little bit. But you know what? Mikhail Burden in Game 5 played his best game of the series, did what he could, um, especially in that first period. It could have been 4 nothing, but the end of that first period had been done early. But Mikhail Burden held them in, and that's all you can ask your goaltender to do. You usually need him to steal your one in the series, and he almost did that for the most. Yeah, and, and you know, the goaltending depth chart, for next season for the Manitoba Moose is going to be really interesting. I mean, uh, you know, I know we'll see whether Burden is back. I would assume that, you know, he still does have a year, although it's interesting to see his KHL rights traded last week. Uh, and then, of course, you've got Arvid Holm, as well as the Finnish goaltender that the team signed last year. So I imagine it could be looking a little different. But overall, goaltending, while maybe not, you know, hella bucky and keeping the team in night in and night out, I mean, in addition to Mikhail Burden, I mean, some really big performances from Cormier and even DeRozier at times when, you know, they needed to go down that depth chart because of what was happening with the big club. And, and that was a really cool thing about the Moose this season is that there seemed to be a real focus on getting guys who had that experience. I mean, previously kind of the third goaltender for the Moose might have been a guy who was coming out of junior or university, something like that, who didn't have a ton of experience. Well, Craig Eisinger went out and signed Philip DeRozier, who had 76 games of AHL experience, had been kind of a, a battery member and 
played plenty of hockey uh, at this level. And then on top of that, when uh, DeRozier was out, they went and found Evan Cormier, who was having a great season in Newfoundland and had about 40 games of experience and then came in and played the best hockey of his career for the Moose. So, uh, you know what, there were some great finds for the Moose. Uh, and obviously, they already had a pretty good setup with Burden and Holmes. So when you have that kind of depth that you can rely on, it's it's pretty handy, especially in a season like what we just went through. So, Dan, we've talked a little bit about the goaltending as well as the blue line, which got much of the headlines. The forward group for the Moose was fascinating to me in that there was not one guy at any point in the season that was sort of the offensive guy. I mean, it was a balanced roster. It was a balanced lineup. I mean, our guy, Jeff Mallott, WSD favorite, you know, led the team in goals. But it was a far different um, setup for this team, certainly than what was happening with the big club. I mean, leaning so much on a couple lines. When you look back at this season, who really stood out for you? And was there a guy or two that wasn't really, I don't want to say thought to be an impact player early on in the season, or maybe even in the mix to be a regular that turned into, um, you know, an invaluable member of uh, Mark Morrison's squad? You know, it was really disappointing that we didn't get to see Greg Morales in the playoffs. I mean, he had such an incredible season. He was named the Moose Rookie. He had 27 points on the campaign. Uh, he was a guy who came into camp, and for for those of us not on the hockey ops side and in the scouting department, kind of an unknown. Um, he showed up, and you know what? He's feisty. He had good skill. He's shifty, and uh, and really made an impact kind of playing on that fourth line and then being a power play specialist on top of it. And then when the Moose got into trouble, he started climbing up the lineup because there was nobody else. And he's just all of a sudden was the first line center. And that's where he played his best hockey. He was getting the opportunity. He was playing against team's best competition. And he was racking up points like a madman. So he was really rolling. And then unfortunately got two significant injuries right into the end of the season. So uh, he was kind of an unknown quantity and came out. And then I don't think you can talk about the Moose season without talking about uh, uh, Cole Meyer, Nicholas Jones, and then once Evan Poli kind of locked onto that line, that group, I mean, you saw them out there in the final three minutes of uh, that game yesterday as Mark Morrison was trying to, to get things going in the offensive zone. And that's three guys on AHL contracts. Um, you don't usually see those guys being the ones to to drive the bus. Such you know a what? relentless line. I oh, mean, relentless is the word for those yeah, guys. Absolutely. I mean, it is a full pedal to the metal every second of the, uh, every second of every shift. And, you know, there probably are more offensively talented players, but when you talk about compete and determination, uh, you won't find many uh, units in that league that'll be able to match what those guys were able to do consistently all season. Well, yeah, and, and they read so well off each other. I mean, Myron Jones kind of locked on with each other last season and uh, just seemed to have this sixth sense for where each other are on the ice. And uh, once Poli got there with that straight line power, and you saw guys last night uh, ducking out of the way, just saying, it's okay, you can have that puck. I don't want any part, and he just hit him anyway. So, um, But uh, when you put those three together, and they have just enough skill uh, to be dangerous offensively as well, then you Meyer with that wicked shot, Jones has those sneaky good hands, and Poli, when he lowers that shoulder, nobody's stopping him from going to the net. And uh, we saw the soft hands on his goal in the series as well so uh they're quite the combination Meyer and Poli are both under contract for next season we'll obviously have to see what happens with Nicholas Jones but uh it would be great to see those three back together again who knows what happens but uh, they were a lot of fun to watch this season I gotta ask you I mean you were with this club I mean day in day out um it was a very disappointing end to the season and I imagine the the vibe around the club um probably um, showed that after the game um but now that this team will have a little bit of time to look back on this season overall, despite the disappointment of losing game five on home ice, um, 
overall, I think this has to be a very successful year for the Manitoba Moose and the Winnipeg Jets organization because of what happened uh, with the uh, with the AHL farm team. Yeah, it's it's really disappointing that uh, they weren't able to go further because I mean, I mean, deserving to win doesn't always work out that way. Rarely are yeah. you the better team in a series and you don't win. I mean, the Calgary Flames avoided that fate uh, last night uh, in overtime, but uh, so, sometimes you, you're going to dominate four games and you don't play your best game in, in the, the fifth game or the seventh game as it is. And that's the one that stings you. It's tough to play five consecutive great games. So uh, for the Moose, yeah, there's there's a lot of lot of disappointment. I mean, that's a team that thought that they had Calder Cup aspirations. They they liked how they matched up against the Chicago Wolves in the next round, if that's where they're going to play. And as it turns out, it was indeed the Chicago Wolves who would have been their opponent. Uh, and they liked their depth. They liked their defense. They they thought they had solid goaltending. So uh, to come up a goal short, or two goals short, as it were, uh, along the way is is pretty tough. But uh, then there's that time for reflection and. I think a lot of the success for this team is in the culture that it built. And that started last season. And with a pretty good chunk of players slated to return next season, that's something they can continue to build on. And I think for any NHL organization, you want to have a great culture in your AHL room because that's where you're going to start developing the culture of your NHL team up top. So when you have guys like Jimmy Olney, Cole Meyer, Evan Poli, uh, Leon Gavanka, Declan Chisholm, Johnny Kovacevic, all together in that tight-knit group, and it can list basically the whole team. It's It was amazing how tight they are and how they were able to bring guys into that group. But uh, when you start looking forward to the future of, of the Moose and the Jets, uh, the culture that they've built over the last couple of seasons, the success they found the last couple of seasons – it only speaks to good things for the future. Well, you know what? And it's a great way to end this off because, uh, of course, it was a new head coach. Mark Morrison came in for his first year behind the bench. How much credit did he get for the culture that he was able to create? And now that you know, you kind of look back at this season, um, what sort of a job did Mark Morrison do squeezing the most out of this team on most nights? Well, and I think that's what he did the best is he knew that he didn't have to necessarily squeeze at times. Mark's ability to and and the guys were talking about this uh kind of the sorry hit the table the practice day kind of before game five is his ability to know exactly what button to push when he needs to walk into the room and toss a couple of chirps out and get the guys laughing or when he needs to come in and say okay guys let's let's buckle down now is what was very successful this season doesn't overcoach. He knew that he had a bunch of good players in the room. He came into the team this season, saw how tight they were already, saw the leadership group that he had, and he gave them the agency to dictate the culture that they wanted. Some guidance along the way, but he knew he had that strength there, so he knew he didn't have to touch too much. And I, I think for a lot of coaches, that, that can be the important thing is knowing when not to necessarily coach when to just give your players the agency, they're adults, they're professionals, uh, give them the ability to, to make their own decisions, the ability to uh, take ownership of their room. And sometimes you're going to have to step in and uh, and you're going to have to guide the way. Of course, that's, that's what the job is. But I think he did a really good job uh, managing that off the ice. And then, of course, uh, finding the right combinations. The, the X's and O's, of course, are important. But uh, again, a lot of the Moose success wasn't necessarily just because they were most skilled or even the most hardworking team on the ice. It's just because of how they played for each other and uh, that chemistry that they were able to find. 
Uh, Dan Figs, the voice of the moose. Dan, thanks so much for always making time for us. It's been so much fun talking to you on a regular basis on this program. Well, what's next for you now, other than talking to your agent, fielding all these calls from uh, people that saw your incredible TSN3 debut over the past week? Well, you know, it's uh, what May 16th today, and that means uh, we're only a few months away from hockey season. So you know what? Uh, there's tickets to get selling. There's uh, promo schedules to start building. There's step uh, media guides to start filling out and, uh, on we go. So, you know what, I uh, gotta, gotta get in a little bit of a break as well, get into a little vacation, some time to sit by the pool and, uh, uh, and enjoy and reflect on what was a great season. But of course, Hey, next season's just right around the corner. That's a great part about play getting into the playoffs. The off season's not too long. And you know what? Uh, I think we built a lot of great momentum with this, uh, even just these three playoff games. And, uh, it was, it was incredibly rewarding for us as a staff to see the building like it was and to hear, the fans just absolutely the last 10 seconds of game four were incredible. Oh. Uh, so it was, it was emotional for a few of us just to, to be able to not even hear ourselves think with how loud it was uh, with 5,000 or 5,500 people in the building as it wound up for uh, game five. So uh, just, I, I can't thank the fans enough. I mean, uh, we went through such a, a weird time with the, the 250 people in the building or no people in the building for a little bit. And the response that we got when we came out, out of that was incredible. Uh, just the the appetite for folks to get out and enjoy the the, the product that uh, that I think is second to none in the AHL, uh, whether it's off the ice or even on the ice. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, the playoffs were an incredible experience for all of us. So thank you, fans, for for tuning along and, and coming along for the broadcasts and coming to the games. And uh, you know what, Usaki.com. Get your information on packages, mini packs, season tickets, all available. And uh, we'd love to have you out come the fall. Well, I can tell you, I mean, not only do we have a great time chatting with you, but I think I've said this before, big fan of your work. You did an amazing job all season long with those uh, broadcasts on CGOB and CGOB.com. And uh, it was great, I think, for a lot of fans to uh, get a chance to see your work as well. Dan, thanks for doing this. All the best and congratulations to uh, both the people on the ice and behind the scenes on a great season for the Manitoba Moose. Well, thanks, Huss. Thanks, Remo, for all the support, uh, the coverage. We really appreciate it. Uh, have a great summer. I'm sure we'll talk to you along the way. Absolutely. There he is, Daniel the Fink on Twitter. That's Dan Fink, the voice of the Manitoba Moose. All right, Jeff Hamilton coming up in just a second. Uh, we will quickly hydrate, and we do that with our friends at Culligan Water, who have been the leaders in all things water for over 65 years here in Winnipeg. They've got it all, whatever you need. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, drinking water systems, and of course, they've got citywide water delivery services and commercial and industrial water products and solutions for your business. Whether it's for the home, for the cottage this summer, or the business, Culligan's got you covered. They're at 1200 Sargent Avenue, 694-5180, or check them out online at drinkculligan.com. Uh, well, it's golf season and it's spring and summertime uh, for uh, hockey fans here in Winnipeg with the Moose and Jets now done. Manitoba batteries, though, ready for you. I know you're spending some time after hours working on some things, getting ready for the weekends to maximize the time. That's why Manitoba Battery has extended their spring hours another couple hours from 8 a.m. until 8 p.m. They have everything you need to dominate summer. And the bottom line is you're going to be shopping local and you'll get a better price on your battery than you'd get at Canadian Tire or Costco at the big box stores without all the hot hassle of dealing with them. Save time and save money and do it at Manitoba Battery. They're at 1026 Logan Avenue, 783-8787 or online at manitobabattery.com. 
And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, listen, I've got no skin in the game. You won't see me rocking a Calgary Flames or an Edmonton Oilers jersey as much as I can't wait for the Battle of Alberta. But if you do have an Oiler or a Flames fan that feels they need to step up and get ready for the next couple of weeks, Royal Sports is the continuing reigning champ of all things when it comes to merchandise, huge jet selection, bombers and more, but also the entire national hockey. So you can get on down there when you're there, check out the new expanded soccer section, all the new Canada soccer gear that's come in recently, not to mention soccer, baseball, bikes, fitness equipment. They really do have it all at Royal Sports. They're at 750 Pemina Highway, and you can follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and deals. All right, let's get to uh, let's get to our pal Jeff Hamilton. Lots to get to coming out of the weekend. Hammer, what's up, man? How are you doing? Great to have you back on the program. How's the weekend for you? Yeah, my friend, uh, good, uh, good weekend. I think the weather was all right. We felt like we've arrived a little bit here, nestled into summer after a uh, pretty brisk uh, few Did months. Did you even go outside this weekend? What are you talking about? Were you elsewhere? No, I know. I wasn't it was like 80 no, kilometer winds enjoying, at the Gold I'm Eyes everything. The wind, I'm a big wind fan. To me, that was fine, man. I mean, it was tough to get out. Obviously, I was, I was at camp on Friday, uh, so got a little bit of it. I know. I'm just saying in general, man. How can you complain with what we've been through? I agree, uh, and and if you and if you really want to add to it, I mean, what others are going through, whether that's you know labor negotiations or whatever you want to you know classify as what's uh, what's happening with this city and you know what we'll talk about here. But yeah, overall, I felt like the weekend was pretty good. Maybe I did spend a little bit too much time inside. <laughs> uh, well, hey, listen, there was five game sevens in the National Hockey League, two in the uh, NBA, go. of course. Hockey games down at the Canada Life Center and at the down at the Ice Cave. So there was lots going on that was maybe keeping people inside. Let's get to it, CFL. I'm, I, I'm so pissed off that we are having this conversation right now that they haven't got this. But to be honest, the minute I saw the initial proposal from the CFL with the 10 year deal, the salary cap note going up. I realized that, you know, we're probably talking about two sides that were incredibly far apart. Um, and here we are, it ain't happening right now. We're talking about the bombers going and picketing outside of IG field and welcoming fans in. I mean, first of all, just get to what this means right now, but what has happened? What are you hearing about the negotiations between the two sides? How far apart are they? And why are we here where we're at right now on the Monday? Oh, wow. Just give me, is this going to be a one question buffet. interview? Because the buffet feels, is yeah, open. Yeah, let me go. So, I, you know, I think we saw a bit of the writing on the wall a couple of weeks ago when, you know, the PA made it public what the CFL's original offer was, right? As we know, you know, for those who haven't really paid attention to these uh, to these negotiations you know it was a 10-year deal it, it was eliminating you know all Canadians and it was pretty much you know it was it was it was you know dubbed two different ways from those who saw it as okay this obviously isn't what the CFL wants it was just a negotiation tactic um, you know to others it was an insult clearly to a lot of fans uh, you know true Canadian those who love the true Canadian aspect of the Canadian football league were obviously insulted. Um, my point of bringing that up is I think that was where things really, you know, took a turn for the worse, you know, captain obvious on that point. However, I felt like if you even rewind prior to this kind of felt inevitable. And I think what we're looking at right now is the players finally taking a stand, 
you know, the players not willing to bulk the, you know, to force, if you will, co- you know, cooperation from the CFL to be a true partnership. And I think that's what we're trying to figure out here is what exactly a true partnership is, you know, I, and, and I think what we're getting here is two different definitions of what that is. Now, you know, lots has been, lots have been reported. And I think, you know, when you look at that point where the PA ultimately, you know, leaked what that proposal was from the CFL, I mean, that's when, that's when you kind of realize things were going to go south and go south quickly. And I think there's a couple of things here. I think the CFL underestimated the players, uh, the PA, in, in just how, you know, I don't know if you want to call it stubborn or determined or whatever, whatever words you want to use um, in their commitment to getting players the best possible deal. And, you know, leading up to that whole kind of, you know, that, that whole, you know, really public debate now as, as the CFL works, as they've kind of, they've shown (laughs) their hand um, what they say is their best deal. um, And the PA has also used, you know, public, the media, if you will, to, to share their message. And so now we're in a place where you really don't want to be, and that's fighting publicly because it doesn't bode well for either side. But just even going back even further from all this, you know, we were kind of getting sold a bill of goods here. You know, all the reports that were coming out was progress, right? You know, interest-based negotiating, like it was somehow ignoring what has been a tumultuous relationship between the league and its players for years and so you know as we kind of inch closer to where we are now you know I was I was writing in my weekly CFL column that okay this is great that they seem to be finding common ground on issues no one was really specific about them but they were obviously issues that neither side was really all willing to you know to fight over or a hill to die on and and but I would report that to be cautiously optimistic because the reality of these negotiations where they're very much similar in the previous ones, whether that was leading into 2021 and having to alter it to a 14 game season or during the 2019 negotiations, anyone who would have followed either of those knew how contentious those chats were, those talks were. And each one, whether it be the 2019 or from 2021, both sides left feeling unhappy about the deal and feeling like they gave way more than they've taken. So bring us to today, and now you have two sides that are just bitter. And I think, you know, if you look at if you look at the CFL's side, I mean, there is some things in the CFL's deal that I think are pretty good, you know, like, you know, and and um pretty good based on a couple different things. One, the CFL has not been making money. They just they haven't been making money the last couple of years. Important they lost to note. a ton of money in 2020 and 2021. We're playing in front of crowds that were limited owing to COVID, and their costs in some cases were higher because of COVID. So it was like the perfect storm not to make money. And so when you look at some of the you know some of the 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 you know the deal the deal that the CFL has put forward you know, growing the salary cap by $100,000 a season. Now, 
anyone who's looked at that 18.9 million, that's a great way to, to, <laughs> to classify it. <laughs> what was that? What Rick is, Ralph was a, would be impressed with the maritime ex- math involved exactly, in that number. Because what they're doing is they're basing all the increases. So 1,000 from 2023, 100,000, sorry, would be the increase in 2023. And so it would go up another 100,000 each year. But with each year, you add the original you know the the math from the original number so it'd be like adding 100,000 and 200,000 300,000 400,000 500,000 600,000 which equals 2 2.1 million dollars in collectively for each team which is only a $600,000 increase um from 2022 now again if you compare that to the previous deal in 2019 that deal was 50,000 a year increase from the salary cap for five years so it's it's interesting because it's now double that and the cfl has not made any money the other thing or they've been losing money the other thing in this is the is the guarantee contract aspect now this isn't to suggest everyone is entitled to guaranteed contracts so the way it works is that if you sign if you finish a deal with your team and you sign a multi-year deal whether it be two three no one signs more than three years that half of that, as long as it's negotiated between the, 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 the team and the player, that can be added on to the final year. So there is some security for those top players who ultimately to this day where you can get cut at any point in any time pretty much have to play above and beyond what they're making to justify being paid you know, that increase in contract the following year. So there are some things that are added to it. Now, this where the CF where the PA is is bitter is they don't they, they, you look they they obviously appreciate the increase in the salary cap they they appreciate the um the the guaranteed contracts no one's going to say they don't but where they where they really 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 want to make their mark is health insurance coverage which if you compare 2019 to now it was one year of, of, of health coverage, one calendar year from the day you were injured um, to move to three years. And now what they want to do is they want to move that to four years starting in 2025. So it's already in, it's tripled from 2019 and now they're adding to it. And I think what the CFLPA wants is if the, if the league wants to go back to, to padded practices. Now there is also something we should talk about with padded practices is it's not, it's 12 padded practices a year and those padded practices last for one hour intervals so 12 hours max in a season and and as we know practices are longer than an hour it would be one hour once a week for a maximum of 12 weeks well is that a big deal i i guess so i mean it it is because players health and safety is important and the pa has the data that injuries are down 35 percent. so i think they'd be willing to do that now I know players don't despise it. They don't love it. You know, they there's like there's a lot back. that do though. There's a lot that I've heard that, you know, weren't really loving the fact that basically I they think it was never a hit transition hus a couple of years ago when they did it, but I think they, the majority of players do enjoy the fact that they're not putting themselves at risk outside of game day, you know, especially as more information comes out about CTE and injuries and all those things, right? That it does become a priority. So from where the PA stands is I think they're willing to budge that way, but they don't, but they want to have an increase in, you know, medical coverage. So there's a lot of like common ground here and we're getting a ton of reports that, you know, even players are coming out and saying, it looks like we're close. 
you talk to people from both sides and they give you a different perspective. They give you one where we think we're close, but we're actually quite far off. And it's going to be interesting here because I go back to my original point just to round out the this long, long answer is that I think we're just finding less of, of you know, the PA not viewing it as a better deal and more so fighting for the best deal they possibly can get and trying to flex their power in a way that we haven't seen in professional football in decades. So we'll see what happens here. Uh, I want to ask you about the proposal to eliminate the Canadian ratio. What what was behind that? Why is it the league that is proposing that? And listen, the CFLPA historically, I mean, this is not the umpires union in Major League Baseball. I mean, this has not been the strongest of it. And of course, a big part of that is the fact that you've got a big group of American players and a big group of Canadian players. In some ways, was the strategy of this to sort of weaken the union and sort of get the Canadians and the Americans on different sides of the fence? That's my take. I mean, I, I don't, I can't imagine. I mean, there. when you go back to the kind of like the bargaining 101, in a way, you, you do kind of have your low ball offer so that when you put that on paper and then what you come to, you can kind of argue where you, you know, where you were and now where you are. Now, you'd like to think that the CFL doesn't think the PA is that dumb. That would be like the PA coming to them and being like, okay, we want fully guaranteed contracts and the, and the minimum, you know, salary, salary of players to be $300,000. This is not going to happen. And then, and then they'll go back to 70 and it'll be like, wow, look at the movement that the PA did from what they were originally asking. What I think, what I think that that did though, is I think it started to create a, you know, I'm not saying it has succeeded per se, but I think the effort there could at least be viewed as trying to create a wedge between Americans and Canadians. Um, and maybe that was setting up uh, future negotiations so that, okay, this is, this is what we say we want. We know the CFL does not want to eliminate Canadians from the roster. We know the CFL does not want to even eliminate necessarily, you know, significant amount of starters from the seven. What they're proposing right now is what they've come to from where they were that ridiculous claim we'll get back to is that they want now to have that naturalized american be in play so they could be they could act as one of the 21 canadian spots and one of the seven starters now the, the you know the you have to in, in that case you either have to be in the league for four years or you have to be on the same team for three to count as that naturalized american so that's where they kind of got to why they would say they wanted to eliminate the Canadian ratio is because we know that there is a, you know, there is resentment in a, in a Canadian football league dressing room. There's not a single American, you know, who's new to the, to the, the league or to the game, not to the game, to the league that doesn't come in and find out, Oh, well, why does that guy get paid this much? Right. Or why does that guy get this? Or why is he such a priority? Or why is he starting over me? They quickly come to realize the advantages for Canadian players. And so that, you know, the idea that you would eliminate, you know, a Canadian ratio or minimize the total of Canadian players on a team only bodes well for the American and particularly the early Americans, right? The ones who have been in for a year or two that haven't come to really appreciate the role of Canadians in the greater context of the CFL. That's how I viewed that effort from, from the league. 
I don't think it worked. It's an interesting situation, too. As we know, Solomon Alamimian is American. He's the president of the, of the PA. Uh, you have guys like Adam Bighill. You have a larger American representation on the executive of the PA, more so than you have in the past. And they do pull both strings. They do try to appeal to you know, both, you know, Americans and Canadians. And so that, you know, something like that or that thrown out there without context, without an understanding that there's no way the league is actually going to be asking for this creates that, you know, if, if you're a casual observer player and a lot of players are, I mean, there's a lot of players I've talked to out there. They have no idea what's going on, right? They don't know what's at play. They don't know what they're giving up. They're just putting their trust in the PA. So when you get these kind of leaks, out that suggests whoa like you're telling me i can get paid like a canadian if the canadians aren't there well it just <laughs> it just naturally creates that frustration and, and potential resentment and that's where the cflpa then has to come into play and kind of say whoa whoa look this is actually what they're pushing for this is what they're probably doing and i think once again they got into you know arguing with the media or arguing in public space uh these things were not only say inevitable but it felt very very much like we were headed in this direction jeff hamilton the winnipeg free press is with us is with us here on winnipeg sports talk daily uh bottom line how contentious has this got is it beyond where most people thought that it would be and do you have any feeling or would you share a care to uh get a guess on how long this goes before somebody figures it out we'll start with your uh, the last question first i just i can't imagine like i think that even if you look at the first preseason game which is this monday uh between the bombers and riders that one can technically i imagine um it would take a bit of work but it can be rescheduled they cannot miss a preseason game you know it's too you know, they can't, I, I'd argue they, they shouldn't or couldn't get to this point. Now, I don't think this point kills the league. I think there's a lot of frustration. I think they're doing damage with every day uh, that they're not taking the field. But that damage really comes at the gate. That damage really comes when you start threatening uh, games being played. Because training camp, yes, you have obviously hardcore CFLers that are paying attention you know, following along, but it's really when the games start. We all know how important gate revenue is. We all know how, you know, how, how tough it's been for the league the last couple seasons, including the canceled 2020 campaign. Um, we know how much they're hurting financially. And I think that the players are leveraging that, right? I think they've leveraged that to get some of the things that the CFL is offering. I think they want to go further. And, and, and so I do think, I think there is, there's certainly building frustration on both sides. I mean, this is where I think it gets extremely sticky is I don't know how much more willing the CFL is to bend on the, on their, you know, last deal, if you will. Um, there's a lot of people, owners around this league that aren't happy with the concessions that they've brought forward now. And I think if the, if the PA, for instance, was to accept this current deal, you would have owners that are not happy with 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 what they've given up. So to think that they're going to have to give up more, um, it's going to be a fascinating game of chicken. And I think that's where we are. I think we're at a situation where who's going to bulk first? Now, I will say this. Now that the CFL PA has gone on strike, feels pretty comfortable. You've done it, right? You've committed. You can't just pull out right away. So you've put yourself in a position where you kind of have to stick to your laurels here and 
and continue to fight. But I don't know if the whole PA is going to be as united now as they will be in a week from now, in two weeks from now. Because I don't think there's, you know, if we're looking at allegiance, you know, we're looking at how how unified the PA is it's very unified at this moment. It's been unified throughout the, you know, the off season getting ready for, for these negotiations. But I think that begins to bend a little bit when you start taking money out of guys pockets. Well, let me ask you this fascinating thing on that. Just on that, because I think we've all seen, I mean, when it comes to sports negotiations with the leagues and the PAs and everyone seems united and everyone really seems on the same page. And then the squeeze starts coming. And it really is, you know, when one side or the other is really feeling it, is that going to happen for the players first? Or do they have enough rope that sort of the pressures on the Canadian Football League in the short term until games checks start getting missed? And if we get to that point, it's a far bigger mess than it already is. It's a good question. Players don't get paid during training camp. So technically they're not losing money now so it's not like i mean and they're still being housed they're being fed like for instance it's interesting right because it really is not saying it's a market to market thing but you know the bombers would love nothing more i imagine than their players to be in and out of the locker room using their you know using their facilities on the field doing this i mean this is beyond uh you know actual practices i mean like during this striking period but they can't anymore. They've now locked things down. They've, again, they're still housing and feeding them, but they're, you know, and players were out on that side field today by the subway soccer field doing informal practice run by, by veterans because they want to be prepared if, and when this, when, when, when things resume, um, but they're not allowed in their locker room. They're not allowed in the gym. So there is a bit of, you know, contention there through that as well. Um, but as far as like, who's in the immediate position of power if you will from a financial point i think that the players are because again they're not getting paid during training camp and but that changes in three weeks so it's like you might feel like you're in a position now but that's going to change and if you do start you know i mean they proved in 2021 that they can extend the season it's not ideal so there maybe is some wiggle room if you're doing the math from a pa perspective and trying to you know uh, try to you know make sure that you have an 18 game season because there's no way that that if it shrinks the season that the players are going to get paid their full salaries it's going to be prorated. Um, I do think up until that point, you have to hope if you're the players association that the that the that the owners are just you know they lose the game of chicken. They come out and they decide to make a deal because again that that missing even a preseason game is 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 going to be hard for each club who i imagine majority of which are not going to turn a profit again this year to actually lose you know gate revenue not to mention all the other people who if there's a game cancellation i think that's going to hit a lot of people hard and you have to make the argument that you're going to be losing some people you know arguably for good how big of that of that chunk would it be in for a, a league that needs everybody and more to join on their ship? Um, you got to think that's a pretty enticing thing for them to, you know, from the, from the uh, owner's perspective to make a deal. But like I said, we'll see. Who, um, I mean, listen on the CFL side of things, you know, Randy Ambrosi's there. Wade Miller has been a real key person. I mean, who are the, 
who are the power brokers in this? Who are the, who is maybe a play a, a person that's involved on each side that hopefully can be the difference in bringing things together and you know finding a path forward, hopefully sooner as opposed to later. Well, from you know obviously the uh, you know from the PA side, you have Solomon L. Mimi, and they, I mean they have their they have their lawyers and their negotiators, and you know a guy like Adam Bighill would be a key component to that. Um, you know, certainly, you know, Brian Ramsey, the executive director, director, he's been on that, you know, he's been with the PA for, for, forever. Um, and then if you go into the CFL side, they do have a bargaining committee and we do know that a guy like, and I'm not putting this at the feet of Wade Miller, but Wade is a, you know, a key person who's, uh, you know, part of that negotiating committee, as well as a guy like Scott Mitchell and Hamilton, you know, two guys with, you know, two teams that are influential in the, in the, in the league and have, you know, a decent amount of say and understand business and negotiating power. Now, again, I'm not laying it at the feet of those two, two guys, but they do have, you know, they do have that influence on that, on that bargaining committee and they do, and they are big voices in the broader, you know, and that's sort of why I ask, you know, I, I think of I mean, in particular here in Winnipeg with Wade Miller being a very important person from the bargaining committee and Adam Bighill being a very impactful individual on the PA, mm. you know, sometimes for these things to get figured out, you sort of need to take a step back from the big table with everybody there and work the back channels behind the scenes. And I guess optimistically, I'm thinking that, you know, maybe individuals like that, that have a relationship that have done a lot of great things together can you know, maybe be start of the solution as opposed to uh, more of the, uh, you know, certainly both behind the scenes and public disagreements between the clubs right now. Well, we'll find out a lot more. I know you're going to be uh, all over it coming up in the next weeks. I know you got a meeting to run just before we go quickly over to hockey. Mm. Interesting to hear the Vegas Golden Knights hand a pink slip over to Pete DeBoer earlier today. I imagine we can pretty much safely say that uh, there's another team that probably will be calling one Barry Trotz to see whether he might want to take over on their bench. Vegas, if there's uh, if there's ever a hockey team in the league to bring you home and show you a good time, it's going to be very difficult uh, to top Vegas. Now, until I don't they know fire if, you, just after until they fire you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, there's going to be more. You know, there's there's arguably going to be more potentially in the playoffs still now i don't think there's a lot of teams that have made it to the next round that are just going to off their coaches but it wouldn't be um you know it, it wouldn't be the first time and what about so the teams you, that just lost like well, the one go. in the, the center of lost, the universe you know maybe yeah exactly i mean could nashville be a you know you know reunite nighting for uh you know Trotz who has a home there so lots of options for him you know i, I don't i don't think it was ever you know, if you look at Barry Trotz and the potential of coming to Winnipeg, you know, we talked about this the last time I was on. I don't think, I think it's going to come down to money, um, you know, influence, power within the position. What can you offer? You know, what can you offer someone like Barry Trotz? And that, that you know, goes beyond, you know, the city you live in, which I think you can make the argument for Barry Trotz that because he's Manitoban, because he's from, you know, from the province, you know, you already have a bit of an, of an advantage potentially there. So, you know, a lot of things I've heard too, um, you know, about Barry Trotz is he's, he's going to be, you know, taking a break, deciding on, th you know, taking his time, weighing his options. 
Uh, it'd be interesting to see who gets them. Of course, Winnipeg will be fighting their darndest, I imagine. Who knows? I've heard a couple other names pop up around Winnipeg, uh, potentially. I mean, we all know about, like, the Scott Arneals and, and you know, the local connections and Alain Vignon. I'm hearing Kirk Muller as a potential, um, as, as a guy who, you know, is an up-and-coming coach that might be on Winnipeg's radar. Um, I'm also hearing some steam behind Pascal Vincent. Um, so, Interesting. You know, so I, you know, I, you know, I think it, you know, I have mentioned in the past that, you know, I don't, you know, and I mean, I don't make the decision, thankfully, uh, you know, that maybe they need a guy who has an NHL resume, not just as a coach, but potentially as a player to gain that instant respect in the dressing room. Um, but we'll see. I think, you know, there are options here. I know a lot of, you know, a lot of fans, and I think we've made that argument for the last week, Hus, that a Barry Trotz could be a, you know, a bit of a fix-all for this organization, but I also think this organization, you know, I think they need to lay out all their cards and push for that opportunity to be in that, you know, in consideration. But they also obviously need to have a backup plan if it doesn't work out. So um, there are a couple different names out there that are being floated. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. I think it's going to be, you know, we, we've been talking about how interesting this offseason is, off is going to be. Um, I don't know how much longer the, you know, the Jets will want to wait. Um, as that uh, NHL draft creeps closer to uh, not have their, you know, guy in place. A lot of players are going to want to know what the future, uh, you know, is for this team. So I think that's going to be coming sooner than later. No doubt about it. Uh, hey, Hammer, just before we go, um, obviously, uh, Jet fans will be uh, all aboard the Rangers bandwagon to see if they can win that extra series and uh, turn that second rounder into a first rounder. But let me ask you right off. Edmonton, Calgary, Battle of Alberta. What do you think? And Tampa, Florida, Battle of the Sunshine State. Who you got winning those two series? I think Calgary beats up on Edmonton. I, you know, I think that Dallas played them extremely well. I mean, uh, my my friend and colleague Danny Austin had an interesting tweet today. It was like something like the the that series between Calgary and Dallas averaged like two point seven one goals a game, and it was something like eight point something against Calgary and Edmonton. Um, and I just think that I think that bodes well for for Calgary. I think they're just watching that team. They are deep, and I'm not saying that Edmonton isn't playing well. You know, they certainly are. They, they certainly are. Um, I don't put uh, you know a team like. No, I mean, L.A., I guess, can be somewhat comparable to Dallas, but I thought Dallas had an incredible, you know, a, a great series. I mean, obviously led by their goalie. But well, Ottinger um, was just ridiculous, well, I'm, yeah, too. I mean, they had no business and, and being in that game last for, night. And yet for they sure, were. for sure. But it still was like, you know, that was what it, I mean, if you look at what Dallas did, whether you want to argue how, you know, how much they, how much play they dictated, that was the the best way for Dallas to beat Calgary. And I just don't think, because Edmonton has such a different game, if, if you open up the ice a little bit more, which I think that series will be, I mean, and there's the other part of it, how bananas it's going to be physically. And it's going to be, you know, the first game is going to be bananas. So the, the fact that this is potentially could go seven games, um, you know, is incredible for, for the game. So, uh, but I just, I don't know. I feel like Calgary has got that. I, I think Florida and Tampa Bay are a little bit tougher to predict. I think maybe Tampa runs out of gas. So I, I do, you know, I, I, I I'm going to put my, my, uh, you know, I'm going to put my guess to, to Tampa to, 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 or sorry, to Florida to beat that, to beat, to win that series. But I think, again, both those series have the potential to go the distance and just add to what's been, you know, arguably a, a, an incredible uh, playoff 
playoffs um, that we've seen for a long time. Hey, listen, cannot wait for it. And I cannot wait for some good news from you and the rest of the people covering the Canadian Football League that things have been figured out. And hopefully we can uh, have some breaking news from you and the rest of the CFL scribes coming up very soon. I know you got to run. Thanks for doing this, dude. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Hudson. If yeah, if I had to guess, I think we're going to see CFL football sooner than later. I don't think this is going to last too much longer. Um, I just don't think it. I don't think either side can can do it. So uh, here's to here's to reporting good news in the future. And uh, thanks for having me on, as always. Chat soon, pal. There he is, Jeff Hamilton at Jeff K Hamilton on Twitter, and make sure to read all of his reporting on both the Jets, Bombers, and the Canadian Football League in the pages of the Winnipeg Free Press. A quick uh, little Breezy Bend golf report for you. What a crazy weekend at the Byron Nelson. And shout out to anyone that jumped on with us on the lock shop last week. Korean had won this event two seasons in a row. So uh, we had a little sprinkle on Siwoo Kim. It wasn't him. It was K.H. Lee, 100 to 1, drops a 63 on Sunday to beat Jordan Spieth by one stroke, a back-to-back champion for the Korean at the Byron Nelson Championship. And of course, this week is the PGA Championship. Check today's lock shop for our picks early on and on Wednesday before Winnipeg Sports Talk, 11 a.m. Winnipeg time, we'll do a special PGA Championship preview with the guys over at CoolBet on all the CoolBet social channels. And of course, if you're looking for uh, more information on an incredible home golf golfing home for you and your family get on over to breezybend.ca or give our friend Corey johnson a call at breezy bend uh our friends at not auto corp are ready for the summer if you're thinking about getting into a new vehicle before you do anything head on down and talk to the experts at not why not get into the car of your dreams at an incredible price with the help of the not team and make sure to ask about the electric options as well as the Tesla experience as well. Over at Knot, Waverly McGillivray, and again, online at Knot.ca. Hey, our friends at Little Brown Jug are ready for the summer, and Little Brown Jug has now launched a cider. Their cider was fermented for four and a half months from cold-pressed apples from an Ontario orchard using a mix of wild and cultured yeast. It's dry and refreshing and gluten-free. And there are so many new products available from Little Brown Jug, including the cider, queer beer, Saison, Hefeweizen, and Folkfest Lager. Stop by the tap room or patio to try one of their delicious new brews. You can find out more at littlebrownjug.ca as well as order online. And hey, the gang over at Assiniboia Downs is ready for the upcoming season. We had to push it back a little bit. It is two weeks Tomorrow, the 31st of May, will be opening day at Assiniboia Downs. It'll be time to horse around again. Huge betting pools for your chance to hit the big one. And, uh, of course, the Prime Rib Buffet is back. Uh, Everything is back at Assiniboia Downs. Just got to wait a little bit longer. Find out more at asdowns.com. And, of course, you can still bet on horse racing around the world over at hpibet.com. All right, we're going to have Tim Campbell join us. Coming up in uh, right now and uh, get to a little bit of the Battle of Alberta and also see what Tim has to say about the Winnipeg Jets. Let's welcome him in now. Uh, live from the rink. Tim, what's going on? Thanks for doing this. It's good, Huss. How are you? Long time no chat. No doubt. It's great to have you back on the program. I know you've been busy with the uh, first round. I mean, we kind of wanted to get to, to you with for uh, to talk Winnipeg Jets. Um, but listen, first things first, the Battle of Alberta is on. Edmonton survives. Calgary survives. 
What is the buzz around Alberta right now for the first time in 31 years that these two rivals will be going head to head in the playoffs? Yeah, it's just it's just getting started, Hus, uh, today. But uh, I know I, I was among the many who who was sort of you know saying quiet little prayers for this maybe to happen if if it could happen. Um, it's long overdue, um, and I think people are uh, people are amped up about it. Uh, the team in Calgary has had a great season. I mean, first place in the Pacific Division and uh, some star performances from some of their top players. A uh, really strong year by Jacob Markstrom. So uh, lots of reasons for optimism in Calgary. And the Oilers have had, you know, they had more of an up and down year, um, off to a great start this year, and then totally fell off the planet. <clears throat> I mean, so bad that they decided they had to fire coach Dave Tippett and and since that happened in February, uh, Jay Woodcroft has come in here and, you know, they've turned it around. They've actually figured out how to play some defense, the Oilers have, and uh, that it's important. It's not, just, it's not just a thing where you tell your players defense is important. If you can get them to understand how important it is, uh, you'll see a difference in their habits. And I think we're starting to see that with the Oilers a little bit in the series against the Kings. Uh, it certainly came to a forefront in Game 7. Uh, the Oilers were a very committed team on Saturday night. Um, so, you know, both teams kind of trending in the right direction. Um, they played some quality games during the season. Um, you know, Calgary left the regular season series on a on a better note with a real beatdown at the end of March of the Oilers. So uh, we'll see how much that matters. I'm not sure how much it does today, but, um, you know, an, ex- an exciting two weeks ahead here in Alberta, I would tell you. No doubt about it. Hey, as far as the Oilers go, uh, our old pal, the natural uh, Evander sure has made an impact. And and hey, you know what? Good for him. This is sort of his, I think, last chance to sort of resuscitate his career. I don't think he could have picked a better spot or a better opportunity to do it. And uh, hey, the young man has been delivering so far in the playoffs, Tim. He has really been a difference maker for Edmonton. He's had a strong, a strong playoffs. He's actually been quite a strong player for the Oilers uh, since he signed here. And that was just before the coaching change. So, um, yeah, I've seen I've seen in a real aggressive sort of game from him. He seems to be a good fit with McDavid, and I, you know, that's a that's the chance of a lifetime for any player, I think, especially if you can fit, um, you know, basically with the game's number one player. So he's he's got enough of that shooting mentality. He's got no fear of being near the net, and you know as well as I do, Hus, that's where the vast majority of goals are scored in the playoffs, and that that tough area near the net and Evander loves hanging out there. So it's been a really good fit. And uh, he seems to me like um, he's a, he's a happy camper right now. I had a good chat with him in Los Angeles uh, before game five, I think it was um, after a morning skate, just to sort of get a feel for where he was at, his attitude. And he seems to be real happy. He likes the fit. He's, been able to come into this team and, and just sort of tag along. And he really has liked the unselfishness of this team. So uh, say what you want about his past or, or what you think about him. He has done the right things uh, coming into the Edmonton Oilers locker room. And uh, he's been producing. And really, could you want any more than that if you're, you know, the team that signed him? No, no, there's no doubt about it. Tim Campbell's with us from NHL.com in Edmonton, getting ready for the Battle of Alberta. Just before we talk Jets, the Game 7 performance by the Oilers, two things stood out. 
Um, Leon Dreisaitl playing on one leg, 22 minutes, nine minutes in the second period. I mean, pretty incredible fortitude that he showed, but it was all about 97. You've followed his career for a long time, Tim. This was one of the great Connor McDavid performances, I think. I mean, in a lot of ways, putting that team on his back, willing them to victory at the end with that brilliant second goal that gave them the, uh, you know, a little bit of breathing room in such a tight game against a, a very good opponent. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been an increasing Connor McDavid factor in the first round. Um, you know, game games three, four, five, like his ice time was down around 15, 16 minutes in a couple of those games. I mean, Admittedly, two of them were blowout wins, and the other one was kind of a blowout loss, a four-nothing loss where they really just didn't have it that night. And um, when you see McDavid around 15 or 16 minutes, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, is he hurt? Um, but, you know, he wasn't. They just, you know, they spread some of the ice around. But when they really needed him, they began the double shifting in game six in Los Angeles. And the same thing here in Edmonton on Saturday. Um, in the first 10 or 12 minutes of the game. He was out every second shift with different line mates, but um, the guy was not to be denied on Saturday. He was just he just pushed that game, um, and defensively as well. I mean, he was throwing some checks. He was racing back to be the pressure guy on the back check. So, you know, far more than a one-dimensional player now at this point of his career, and you can kind of see in his confidence he's taken a bit of a step. Uh, you know, I've had... It's been an interesting experience uh, here in Edmonton, I would say, this season. Um, we've seen Connor McDavid. Um, it's a small thing you might not notice from the outside, but in the interview room, for instance, uh, you know, his answers have gone from one and a half sentences to sometimes three or four. Um, a little less afraid to say something or say what he thinks about a situation or a teammate. And, um, you know, I've seen a little bit of the evolution of Connor McDavid this year. I'm sure he's not done evolving. Um, but I think that's also showed in his play just a bit more assertive. I mean, he's always had the confidence to make crazy good, you know, plays and score spectacular goals, but I think you're seeing a bit more will now in his game and it it just goes hand in hand with the confidence uh, he seems to have as a young guy. I mean, he's not a young, young guy anymore, uh, 25, but uh, I think he's grown a lot and uh, we have seen that element in the playoffs, I believe so far. Well, buckle up for the Battle of Alberta. Gets going this week. It's going to be a real fun couple of weeks. But, Tim, while we've got you, I mean, normally when we've got you on the program, we're talking about the Winnipeg Jets. Unfortunately, it's all off-season talk right now. But we haven't spoken on the program since the end of the season. Uh, I have to ask you what you thought about the end-of-season comments from so many of the Winnipeg Jets. And then, in particular, the final Sunday of the season, Paul Stastny was some of the most indictable comments on teammates I've ever heard, you know, that some players don't respect the guys they're playing with. And then, I mean, the comments that I think dropped everybody's jaws, Mark Shifley speaking like an unrestricted free agent as opposed to a guy with two years left. I mean, uh, what did you take from all that end of season uh, media veils from uh, the members of the Winnipeg Jets dressing room? Well, I think Huss, I would say... Uh, some of those comments at the end of the season probably confirmed what a lot of people feared and that, you know, there are some wrinkles to iron out in that dressing room um, in terms of attitude and outlook and approach. Um, but I am not with the majority. I, I don't think that, that believe, you know, a total revamp is necessary. I, you know, every team has its issues and, and when you don't win, they're magnified. 
Um, me, I don't, I haven't viewed a lot of the reaction as uh, maybe like some of my colleagues and like some of my friends and a lot of fans uh, treat it almost like a crime against humanity. That's a phrase I've used to some of my friends. Um, it's a disappointing season for sure. Um, but um, it's a game. Um, only one team gets to win the cup every year. And I think there, to me, there's been some element of overreaction in Winnipeg to missing the playoffs. Uh, it's not as easy as you think. Um, and there are a lot of teams, especially in Canada, who could uh, vouch for that, that, um, you know, you don't, you don't just get entitled to be in the playoffs. Expectations and high expectations are a good thing. Um, they bring a healthy sort of pressure. Um, but when they're not met and when there's some element of failure or things go wrong, go off the rails, and, you know, there are many factors in that this year between injuries and COVID and, you know, maybe some bad chemistry. Um, I just don't see the point of uh, letting my hair get on fire, what little there is left of it, um, and, and you know, overreacting. So my opinion is there are some pretty smart people running the Jets. Um, they have a good feel. My sense is that they have a good feel with the issues amongst their players and in that locker room and in the chemistry and in the dialogue and the communication. And they will do what they can to repair it and uh, improve it in the offseason. Um, I know I've said this to you, Huss, a, a bunch of times. This is not like running a fantasy team or a fantasy league where you can just swap players in and out at, at will and, um, you know, do whatever you want. And if you don't like it, you'll just change it next week. It doesn't work like that in the NHL. So my opinion is that Kevin Cheveldayoff and the management group there, the scouts, and it go right up, goes right up to ownership. They will do what they can to improve the situation and give themselves a better chance. Um, having learned their lessons this year, I, 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 the sense I get from so many people is they think the Jets don't understand their problems. And that's where, to me, fans and some commentators and, and you know, the local, the local crew in Winnipeg are kind of missing the boat. Uh, I, it's only my opinion. But I just, I just have enough faith and experienced people who know how the, NH, the NHL runs um, that they'll do their utmost to get this thing turned around and make it better next year. Uh, the, the, the perception that they've sat around and done nothing or let this all happen without caring, uh, to me, is completely off base. Um, so I await you know, the changes and decisions that are going to be made. There are some important ones coming up. Uh, I'm not telling you they're going to work out. But I am telling you the people in charge of making these decisions are going to put best efforts into fixing things. Well, I'll tell anyone that'll listen, Barry Trotz would be a great start to that. Um, I mean, I not only, I think, on the ice, <laughs> on the ice uh, and off the ice, and I think certainly for an organization, that I don't think there's any doubt that some of the confidence in the organization has been eroded over the last couple of years, especially this season. I think that could reverse that almost immediately, Tim. Um, but it's interesting. Vegas tied a can to Pete DeBoer today. They've got an yeah, opening. Philadelphia yeah. as well. And you know those organizations will be throwing big cash at Barry Trotz. Listen, it's going to cost them. Um, but just your thoughts on a, a potential homecoming, if you will, for Barry Trotz and how impactful that might be for the Winnipeg Jets. I think I think your 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 thought process there, Huss, is, is uh, to me is 100%. Um, he's the kind of coach think the Jets could use and could benefit from um, I don't know me I would I, I very Barry is a very successful guy he's a very thoughtful guy 
but I also see him, you know, he's got that little element of, uh, what's the phrase we like to use, butt kicker sometimes, um, where, you know, it's going to be his way or the highway in certain matters. And, uh, you know, he will, he will get the accountability and, the, you know, the buy-in. Uh, otherwise, the players who aren't, aren't interested in participating like that will probably wind up somewhere else. So, you know, there are, but to me, there are two or three or four candidates out there that would fit that description. Barry certainly uh, has the track record and, and, and a recent Stanley Cup championship. Uh, those are valuable things for me. Those things cost money. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm quite sure that the Jets understand that someone with a, with a voice like that could probably be beneficial to their team. Is it going to happen? I couldn't tell you. Um, but, um, you know, heard rumblings that they're interested, and I'd be shocked if they weren't. Uh, let's see what happens here. I, I expect it won't take very long once they make their decision. Yeah, no, I'm uh, with you on that. Tim Campbell with us. Tim, before we go, Battle of Alberta. I won't get you to make a pick, but do you think this will be a long series? Is this going to be a close one? Could we be talking about Game 7 sort of thing? Or uh, do you think there's a real advantage on one side? Yeah, well, I'm not afraid to share my pick um, because we we made them today with our NHL.com writer. So I, I fell marginally down on the Edmonton side, but I do see a long series. Um, I, you know, in weighing it, I, I've actually been touting Calgary probably probably a couple too many years in a row here, but still like them a lot this year. I didn't pick them to make the playoffs at the beginning of the year, but, you know, the Daryl Sutter factor is a, you know, it was a, it's a proven commodity. Um, one of my esteemed colleagues at the beginning of the year made a great assessment, I thought, saying with Daryl, the Flames were either going to flame out or, you know, rise to the top. There was going to be no, no middle ground with Daryl. And I think that's proven exactly right. I really like the Flames. I, I think maybe they're the better team. But, I, you know, I just watched Connor McDavid seven games, and I think that little element of that he'll add to the, the, the piles you're weighing of, of pros and cons, I just have a hunch that maybe McDavid, um, McDavid's on to something here, and he, he, above all in this series, can be, you know, a brilliant difference maker. So I went with the Oilers – I wouldn't say I'm 100% sure of it, um, but I can see a long competitive series. And, I mean, it's tough to score in the playoffs. The games are close. The goaltending on both sides has been remarkable. I mean, Mike Smith was great in the first round. And um, Jacob Markstrom, I mean, last night, I know he wasn't the busier of the two goalies, but the quality of his work in the last bunch of games cannot go unnoticed. So I think we're in for a really good long series and uh, one to remember. Hey, real quick on the way out, you got to lean on uh, the Tampa, Florida series. Oh boy, you know here's here's other the quick than it's going to be amazing. <laughs> It'll be good. It's here's a quick take: the Tampa's the champs. Um, they got some health and injury issues. Um, I really love Florida's season. I I see them when I watch them. I see them as a bit reckless, and I think that carried into the first round a little bit. They've got firepower, um, but they get a bit reckless sometimes. So I, I don't know. Until the champs aren't the champs, I think I would, I would, you know, again, the marginal pick, I would go for the champs. Hey, Tim, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Enjoy the Battle of Alberta, and we'll look forward to catching up maybe later on in the series or afterwards to get your thoughts. Thanks for your time. I'll look forward to that chat, Hustler. Have a great day. <laughs> right on, be well. There's Tim Campbell uh, with NHL.com. You can follow him on Twitter.
at Tim NHL. Well, uh, as we spoke with Jeff Hamilton earlier, a bit of a hiccup in our plans to begin the season uh, on time, training camps and whatnot. Hopefully that gets take care of, taken care of very quickly. And we'll be back at IG Field for Blue Bomber games very soon. When those games do happen, make sure you come a little early and spend some time at the Princess Auto tailgate party outside each and every uh, Bomber Game and Investors Group field. Princess Auto, proud sponsors of the Bombers. And, of course, the Gold Eyes, who got their season going on this weekend. Princess Auto, also the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Two Winnipeg locations, Panit and Portage Avenue West. And, of course, you can shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. No games tonight. But things will get going again tomorrow with the Avalanche and Blues. And um, every night's a great night to hit Boston Pizza during the Stanley Cup playoffs. Games on the big screen, gourmet pizzas, Boston wings, ice cold schooners. You know the drill. And hey, if you're staying home, you can always check with the Boston Pizza game day deals and order online at bostonpizza.com. And uh, I'll tell you what, did pop by Nick and Nikki DQ on the weekend to grab a blizzard. Blizzard season is here. But I find it almost impossible when I hit the DQ without trying a new stack burger each and every time. There's six of them in total. Grab one with the Blizzard the next time you're around, Nick and Nikki. And of course, there's four Nick and Nikki DQ locations the DQ in Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, DQ St. Anne's, and all three Winnipeg locations available for delivery on your favorite delivery app as well. Uh, let's get Remus back in here. Uh, Listen, I knew this would be a packed show today with so much going on. Uh, the Game 7s from the weekend, the Manitoba Moose, CFL player unrest, but uh, it really does seem after talking with Tim Campbell that this Battle of Alberta Ream is setting up to be uh, maybe the playoff series of the entire playoffs, although I will throw, maybe we won't have the fan pandemonium around it, uh, but the Tampa-Florida series as well is going to be a must-watch, and I believe they're on opposite days, so... That'll be the main event most nights for the next two weeks. Yeah, no hockey tonight. I can catch up on Better Call Saul. I'm really excited to have a night off because uh, my wife was I worried, was worried she was getting pissed off with me with all this hockey. Saturday, the three games. Yesterday, the Moose game. And then the two game sevens. I haven't had a night to myself. we got to put together some Ikea furniture. So thank you. <laughs> thank you, NHL. <laughs> Thank you, NHL, for giving us an off day. I did put a poll in if anyone wants to vote. Edmonton versus Calgary. Who are you taking? I'm on Calgary. I don't think Edmonton has the depth. I think Calgary. Uh, the only reason why that series was close because Jake Ottinger played out of his mind. I saw people referencing on Twitter uh, JSG Gare from the like Ducks in 03 in terms of goalie performances. I mean... The chances Calgary had, it had, to, it had to be a shot where you can't see me on the podcast, but like my fingers are showing the area that Goudreau put that winner in. And like a centimeter. It, I, he saw like the tiniest opening and plopped it in. So what a, what a performance. Calgary was my, I got to look at my bracket actually. I, did, I see everyone after the first round showing their bracket. I did, I did okay. I think I got one wrong. No, I got Minnesota. No, I had LA and I didn't have, I had LA winning against Edmonton and I had Minnesota over St. Louis. Those are the two. Six so. of eight, not too bad. Yeah. Um, 
Hey, Les Thompson's in the chat and Les had the super chat. Great to see you at the game on Friday for the Manitoba Moose. Les, really appreciate that. <clears throat> and he mentioned, Primo, that uh, our good friend Pierre-Luc Dubois looking great at the Worlds. Another impactful day for Team Canada earlier this morning. Yeah, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, he's on a heater. He had two goals in their win against Slovakia. Adam Lowry also had a goal and an assist. So while the Jets aren't playing, nice to have some Jets content. Canada rolling along. I see some people in chat mentioning they're enjoying hearing Dennis Bayak this afternoon, who is calling USA Finland. Finland winning that game 4-1. So the World Championships, they're they're going, and we're keeping an eye. Nice to see PLD. I don't know if this is going to, like, increase his price and contract negotiations this year, but I think it's nice for them to have a, you know, end the season as a positive. And I, I do always enjoy, you know, the long weekend when Canada tries to go for gold at the, at the world. So, um, yeah, there they are five, five, one, maybe Josh Anderson and it, at two points. You know, I see people saying, I, hey, I think Adam Lowry did as well. Did he not? Yeah. I said, yeah, he had a goal and an assist. Um, so there you go. Josh Anderson had a couple points. Uh, Morgan Geeky on the board with a goal and an assist. So solid win, Canada, Slovakia. Not exactly, you know, the the toughest opponent, Slovakia. No offense to them. The Canada opened at a minus 300 favorite. So it's a TSN who has that in their, <laughs> in their box score on their website. This is the world we're living in now. Yeah, um, no doubt. PSN, are you? They, were, they were so behind it forever. Now they've mm -hmm. put together the edge, and uh, now we're trying to play catch-up on the fact that they've been snoozing on this for the last half decade. I, I see a lot of people getting angry at the gambling ads during the playoffs. I mean, I don't really care. They're commercials. Like, I may not pay attention or not, but I'm just amazed at the wide range of celebrities appearing in all of these. Who <laughs> uh, Aaron Paul, aka Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad. I saw Jamie Foxx and one Wayne Gretzky. Uh, Susie Essman is in the score. The score one. Uh, McDavid, Matthews. They've got they, deals as well. How are all these celebrities getting in? Well, we all know. You know. Well, here's cool my bet. question. Cool, cool bets do, our place has. Do those absolutely? Bets. Yes, and Andre DeGrasse is now the uh, yeah. the uh, the uh, they, ambassador they, of cool. You gotta uh, get well. someone too. You gotta compete. You gotta get a celebrity endorser if you're a gambling company. Well, the the funny thing is, you know, Dusty and I, of course, do the lock shop. New episode just dropped today. PGA Championship round two, of the playoffs. Check that out wherever you get your podcast. Search lock shop. Um, you know, we've had a great relationship with them because I mean, we talk about it. We actually play it. We bet at the site, and I think that's had some great results for exposing people to a place that we love and have a great relationship. And a lot of people have become cool betters. I really do wonder if, because you see Jamie Foxx on BetMGM or some player has an endorsement deal with Will Hill, whether it's just a matter of seeing that there's another option of another company out there or anyone actually decides, oh, you know what? Bet99 has Austin Matthews signed up, so that's where I'm going to lay my wager down. I mean, to me, you find a good spot that has good odds and good customer service that you can trust and roll with it. Um, so in a year or two, I think I made this example, Reem. Right now is like a couple of years ago when DFS was exploding and you yeah. couldn't watch an NFL game for a minute without either a DraftKings reference or a FanDuel reference. That's sort of happening in the gambling space right now. We'll see some companies thrive. We'll see a number, spend a bunch of money, don't get the return, and essentially be out. But I don't think this will continue 
uh, at the onslaught that it is right now. But make no mistake about it, that is the engine right now that's paying for these broadcasts that we're enjoying each and every night. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you're seeing so much money poured in by these companies to acquire customers. I just see a lot of people getting mad online during the playoffs, and I did want to bring it up. Because I've, I've just noticed, I'm like, how are they getting Aaron Paul? Like, why, who I thought Aaron Paul, uh, who plays Jesse Pinkman on Bring Bad, would be a good endorser for whatever MG, like whatever, I don't even remember what sports book it was, but it's just, I see a lot of people mad online, and we like to talk about um, who's mad online, and I think that's been a, a thing during the playoffs. Now, I don't care about them. I don't think I'm a target for them. I don't think, and again, I think someone who is picking uh, a sports book, I, got, I don't know, who's picking a sports book based on their celebrity <laughs> endorser. endorser, yeah. endorser. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. So There is uh, one thing about this upcoming playoffs. I did see um, Deadspin put out this article. Credit to them. Someone's got to get Gary Bettman on the phone and make Edmonton get rid of these navy blue abomination of a jersey and have them play in their 80s jerseys. Can we get that done? How beautiful well, they, with They've this already look. announced before they're playing this series. I know, no kidding, by the way. That's a great point. Um, yeah. They're playing in those brutal jerseys for the rest of the way. Uh, no. Whatever. Someone yeah. called them uh, practice jerseys online. I thought that was a good take, too. They're awful. Listen, they're considering their options that they have. And I think the orange ones stink, but they're better than what they're wearing right now. Uh, man, of course, I like Calgary's jerseys a, a little bit. Calgary's are great. You know, they, they will. And they could have had one of the great jersey matchups if they had the old, like more the royal blue oiler jersey yes. that we remember sort of throwback to the 80s uh, going up against Calgary. Uh, it would be one of the best jersey matchups that we could possibly have. Well, hey, listen, speaking of these matchups, Let's get to the cool bet lines. Uh, before that, oh my God, I had a couple of the CC and gingers on the weekend. Man, they are good. If you haven't tried it already, I'm sure you've had the great taste of Canadian Club and ginger ale cocktail somewhere beforehand. Now they've taken all the uh, all the work out of it for you, ready to drink at your local beer store or Manitoba Liquor Marts. Come in six packs, singles if you'd like. And, of course, you can get a free one with a purchase of Canadian Club all month long at one of 26 uh, displays in and around Manitoba. Pick it up, the good stuff. Canadian Club and ginger ready to drink. All right, cool bet lines. This is the first time in two weeks. We haven't had any games tonight, but it does give us an opportunity to look at all four second-round series in the National Hockey League. If you want a more expanded conversation on it, check today's lock shop. Uh, but let's take a look at these. Let's start it off with Florida and Tampa Bay. I'm interested in your thoughts on that series and who's going to win. I, and to be honest, I thought that this would be a little tighter. I expected it to be maybe Florida minus 130 or so, Tampa plus 110. Tampa's plus 130. And I guess the, the status of Braden Point certainly would affect that line with a player of his importance. For me, though, when it comes down to it, and we know it's going to be close. We know it'll be a long series. I trust Andre Vasilevsky a hell of a lot more than I trust Bob in the Florida net. And uh, I think I'll be back in the underdogs at plus 130. What do you think about this Florida Tampa series? 100%. Just take the team with the better goalie. You're getting the defending two-time Stanley Cup champions as an underdog. That doesn't, doesn't make sense. So uh, they've been there. They've done it before. I think Tampa would be the pick. And maybe you think, oh, Tampa's beat up. They're missing Braden Point. But I think after watching Andre Vasilevsky in that series, I don't know how you pick against him uh, 
versus Bob. So I'm going, I would pick Tampa. Although the point Over, injury con, uh, concerning, but they're still pretty. Yeah, deep. and he's out for game one. And it's going to be day to day after that. I think that was what uh, what you'd had in there. Uh, yeah, I saw that he's missing game one, and they said day to day after. Like, who knows? He was pretty. Um, he was pretty banged up. I think for the last couple of weeks of the year, like his production really wasn't there. So I think he's been batting something for a while. I'm only saying that as a fantasy owner who noticed his production go go way down. During the well, fantasy well, playoffs, but that injury did not look good. I'll say this. I mean, watching most of that Tampa-Toronto series, uh, you know, on the power play, certainly Kucherov was dangerous. I didn't notice him very much at five-on-five. Five. Um, and maybe credit to the Leafs and what they were doing. I mean, it was a hell of a series, but they're definitely going to need more from Kuch, especially if Braden Point is knocked up or not available to play for part of the series couple of other options for you again you could bet the exact uh, exact uh, result um i don't mind i mean minus 182 for over five and a half games so basically to be six or seven is minus 182 plus 210 on a seven game series and i think this has all the makings of a seven gamer as well i think i'll probably be on that as we mentioned tampa at plus 130 avalanche and blues uh, obviously, Colorado, the biggest favorite of the second round, minus 500, the Blues plus 360 to win the series. Now, listen, I don't have the stones to bet the Blues to beat the Avalanche. However, I certainly do think that they're going to be a tough out for Colorado. I think this series goes at least six games. I think St. Louis gets a couple, and I wouldn't be surprised if they actually win game number one. We'll wait for this individual game lines to come out. But I'm liking Blues plus two and a half at minus 128 in this one, Remo. Uh, I, I think they get a win or two. Uh, and it wouldn't at all surprise me to see this one maybe even go the distance. Uh, I think some people have been sleeping on St. Louis all season long. Big statement in round number one, beating the Wild. And all of a sudden, Bennington has uh, gotten his act together. And, uh, you know, they've got two great goaltending options, but a guy that's won a cup before getting hot at the right time. Yeah, so I saw Thomas Drantz on Twitter pointing out that the only two up upsets of the first round, if you call it an upset, were the two recent Stanley Cup champions in St. Louis and Tampa Bay. I think there's something to be said for playoff experience, you know, quote, knowing how to win. But St. Louis is pretty strong down the middle. They've got depth at forward. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly, one of the elite centermen in the league when it comes to, uh, quote, being hard to play against. Adam Lowry actually said that on this show that uh, right when asked who was the toughest one, he said Ryan O'Reilly. So they just surprised Minnesota. They can do it before. If you want to take the over at five and a half, uh, that could be a play. But yeah, I think Seals will give them a run, but Colorado, they're likely going to take this one. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, all right, let's move down to uh, the Canes and the Rangers. As we mentioned, the Rangers' big comeback. Uh, we got him at plus 200 to win the final two games of the series after the Crosby injury, although Sid did come back last night. But it was the bread ban in OT. And Jet fans will be leaning on the Rangers. It'll be interesting to see if they can actually pull this off. They are a pretty significant favorite. Plus 185 on the series. The Canes a minus 222 favorite. I like Carolina in six, but I'd love to be wrong and be talking about two first-round picks for the Jets in the first round in Montreal. Yes, I would definitely, yeah, I think Carolina is going to take it. But if you, yeah, if you want uh, some rooting interest to cheer for the Jets, you want that extra pick, go with the Rangers. But I think Carolina, I think they're a deeper team. Defense, very good. Um, goaltending, I, we'll have to see what happens. But Antti Ranta, Freddie Anderson, 
has been hurt. We know Shesterkin, he's very good. Yeah, I'm leaning I'm leaning Carolina, but this could be closer than we thought. I thought Carolina was going to beat uh, Boston in less games, but they took them to seven. The home team winning every game in that series. We'll have to see what how home ice advantage factors in, but I am leaning towards Carolina. But I think New York can give them a run. Nice to see Andrew Kopp having so much success and oh, yeah. Jacob Truba last week. No doubt. Uh, and the final, the main event, Calgary-Edmonton. I'll be honest. I'm surprised that Calgary is heavy, is as heavy a favorite in this series. Not that they shouldn't be the favorite, but minus 217. I was blown away. I thought that that would be like a minus 180, minus 170, something like that. But great value if you do like the Oilers. And certainly Tim was thinking that, you know, Connor McDavid might be the difference maker. Plus 180 for Edmonton. Minus 217 for Calgary. As you mentioned, I do like the Flames. I've liked them for a good, uh, basically took them at 25 to 1 to win the cup at the All Star break, and they have been brilliant since then. And I think my wager for this one is going to be Calgary minus 1.5 at plus 103, which is essentially Calgary to win in six. But if they win in four or five, you'd also cash as well. Where are you at on this one? Yes, I, I'm on the same page as you. You know, Edmonton, it was nice. They gave LA a run. We saw McDavid do his thing. I think Calgary is a much better team than L.A., more complete. Uh, we'll have to see what happens with their defense. They did have a couple guys, including Shillington, injured in the last game. I think uh, Markstrom, you know, better goalie. I think they're going to give, you know, Calgary should have ran over Dallas, but Jake Ottinger stood on his head and made some ridiculous number of saves, 60 saves. He made, you know, some of the m most number of saves in a series ever. Um, they were showing that on the broadcast yesterday. So I think Calgary, I think the score flattered Dallas. And I think we're going to see some explosion of goals in some of these games. So I'm leaning Calgary here, and I don't think. Well, I think they're going to. Get, I think yeah. minus one and a half games. I think is is fair. Yeah. Um. Hey, in the chat, if you're with us on YouTube, give me your pick for the Battle of Alberta and the Battle of Florida. So just pop in Flames or Oilers and Tampa or Florida Bolts or Panthers yeah. as well. And I see Dallas asking maybe he needs a, a primer on uh, the cool bets and the odds. Very simply, for folks that might not wonder what I'm quoting these numbers, if you're looking at the one that Remus has on the screen right now, Calgary minus 217, Edmonton plus 180, it's all bet based on $100. You would have to bet $217 to win 100 and return 317 if you want the Flames. And the plus indicates if you made a $100 bet on the Oilers, you and they won, you would win 180 on that and it would return 280. So the minus means it's the favorite. That's what you're laying to win 100. The plus means it's the underdog. A $100 bet would return that on your 100. And of course, whatever you bet, it's just uh, done essentially by a uh, um, by an equation. You know, if you're betting 50 in it, it would be half that and uh, go forward from there. I'm be honest, like I hate American odds. I can't believe like how popular they are when decimal odds are so much simpler. So like up here on the thing, I switch it from American to decimal odds. Then you get your standard pro line style odds. Um, if you want to figure out, so, you know, Edmonton is 280 to win. You just take your bet and multiply by the odd value. But yeah, uh, American it, it, exactly. are the, are the standard is, is the standard that we use here 
in North America. Yeah, I just find it easier just because it clearly indicates who's the favorite, yes. who is the underdog, and you've got it better. But again, if it's easier for you, the decimal system is there. Hey, listen, we've talked a lot of hockey. We will continue talking a lot of hockey. There were two other Game 7s yesterday I quickly want to hit in the NBA. And credit to the Boston Celtics. My guy Giannis is out. I was hoping Milwaukee could repeat. That isn't going to happen. I've always sort of loathed the Boston Celtics, but man, they've got a squad. Big, big win on home court to uh, move on to take on the Miami Heat. But Remo, maybe the most stunning performance, choke, no-show, whatever you want to call it, was by the Phoenix Suns yesterday. The number one team in the NBA all season long, pushed to the brink by the Dallas Mavericks, but they had a home court, they had the crowd, Luka Doncic in the first half had 27 points. The Suns as a team had 27 points. I was listening to Bill Simmons and Ryan Rossillo last night talk about it afterwards. I mean, one of the most embarrassing Game 7 performances in NBA history. And, uh, you know, for a team that had won over 70 games since the beginning of the regular season, an absolute embarrassing way to go out. And uh, listen, my guy Luka's still going. It'll be a lot of fun to see what they can do against the Mavs. Uh, but just a head-shaking no-show by Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and the Suns, who had been the class of the league for most of the year. Yeah, they were so close last year making the final. You thought they had this, uh, I want to say they had some up-and-coming players, and Aiton as well, who had his coming out party last year. Disappointing for the Suns. Luca, man, that guy's pretty good, so uh, we will keep going. I'll be honest, I haven't paid too much attention to NBA. It's funny. You, know, you look at contrasting the series, NHL first round, five, seven game series. And in the NBA, the first round was kind of all blowouts. NBA, you know, the, the one eight, you get save your best matchup for the conference final. Um, so, I mean, maybe I'll tune in later. But, you know, the Suns have kind of been building for this for a while. And just the no, the no show in game seven, very disappointing for them. Yeah, just quick, uh, if you're interested in the odds for these uh, two game set or two series coming up, the Heat. Despite being the number one seed and having home court are the underdog. They're plus 142. The Celtics are a minus 175 favorite. And no surprise, the Golden State Warriors are favored over the Mavericks, but a pretty big favorite, minus 227. The Mavs, plus 181. The Mavericks hadn't won a playoff series since they won the NBA title. What was it, 11, 12 years ago with Dirk Nowitzki? So, uh, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a Cuban fan. I love Luka Doncic. I'll be cheering for the Mavs. I don't know where they can uh, where they can get it done. Uh, and I guess, Rumo, as I mentioned this off the top of the program, um, you know, it's disappointing that the Moose are done. Obviously, we're well into Winnipeg Jets offseason talk and coaching and what's going to happen with the roster, paying attention to what Adam Lowry and Pierre-Luc Dubois and Nikolai Ehlers and Schmidt are doing at the World Championships. Uh, but next week, it's going to be uh, all eyes on the Winnipeg ice. We went to that game earlier, the first matchup between Winnipeg and the Edmonton Oil Kings, right after those trades were made. I think there was like seven guys that went to the World Juniors or something like that in that game. Certainly Edmonton had a, a ton, Gouli and Kosa and Net. This is, this, this. you speak about having the top two teams play early. Um, this could easily be the WHL Championship. This could be the Memorial Cup Championship but it's happening in round three. It starts here in Winnipeg on the weekend. We'll talk about it this week, but Ice Oil Kings is going to be an unreal series for fans of junior hockey. And if you haven't gotten out to see the ice yet, this is a great time to do exactly that. Yeah, nice of the ice to schedule it on Friday 
and Saturday here at the Ice Cave at Wayne Fleming Arena. You know, top team all season, and you know that's what we'll be following. And it was nice of Brian and uh, Matt Savoy to join us last week, and we'll definitely be following that as we go. I think that was you know Tim was at the Rogers Arena doing this hit with us. I believe it may have been the Oil Kings practicing because the the uh, Oilers practiced this morning, so bit of a look there is what's going on but yeah I yeah guess they get ready all week and it makes and, sense and that rink is where the oil kings play so i know part of the reason with the schedule i think they were kind of waiting to see what happens was if the oilers were going to win if calgary was going to win you know when those games would be in edmonton battle of alberta does start wednesday in calgary wednesday and friday in calgary and then back for i believe sunday and tuesday in edmonton and hey is uh is next weekend may long weekend yeah, this weekend, May long weekend. Yes, yeah, Sunday or Monday. So like, a week today is a holiday. Yeah, yeah. So we're not gonna. <laughs> yeah, I have a wedding uh, this weekend too, so I'll be busy. Weddings are back. Huh? Concerts back. Bands and stands are the worst. Back. Weddings are you know that's back. You know what? And you're a bit younger. I remember we everyone's had that. Remember that summer where you have like have eight summer weekends, mm-hmm. and I know I someone had a weekend who has that. that I had one year. I had weddings on seven of the eight weekends. I emceed two of them and was in two wedding parties. I mean, it basically just took care of the entire summer. So, they thank God that for that alcohol, is not though. the case. <laughs> yeah, well, you just have to pay for everything else. It's not, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like someone half a dozen of the other. Got, yeah, it's true. You got to get, still got to get a gift. Maybe have traveled some of them. I'm Good not times. quite in wedding season, but uh, I have, a co- I have, I have a, I had one this year. Anyways, I did do some polls. Us, we got the polls out today, or we we'll see Ooh. what people in chat think of the playoffs. Okay, let's, let's let's do a quick recap of these polls. Okay, I have been uh, interviewing people. I haven't seen them. Okay, I just did it just now. You know, five minutes each. Thanks to everyone in chat. Calgary, Edmonton, seventy nine percent of the people voting think Calgary. Yeah, I'm with so, you on that. Okay, I agree there. I think that's fair. We have the next one. I got to scroll down. We also had a lot of um, bots today in chat that I've had to boot. Oh, my so, God. Love face, sexy yeah. girls, XYZ. People offering discounts on triple X material, so they get quickly cleaned out. Is that because of something that you've subscribed I, to no, on the no, WSD no, channel? No, 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 definitely, definitely not. It's just because we're too popular. We just Someone suggested we just hit 60, 6.9. K subs on YouTube. So that could oh, be Oh, beautiful. Yes. Yeah, hey, point. thanks. And welcome to all the newbies that have come yeah. by. And by the way, if you are with us watching right now and you're not subscribed, hit that red subscribe button. It's free. You'll get WST pumped into your feed each and every day. And if you're not able to join us live, and of course, regardless, if you're watching on YouTube, do us a favor. Make sure you also subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just search Winnipeg Sports Talk. Okay. Other poll results. Florida, 62% versus Whoa. Tampa, 37 That's surprising to me. I'm on the Tampa side of things, I'm but on- it... I, it I just think that's going to be an amazing series. I cannot wait for those. I think people are sick of seeing Tampa, which I think is fair. Although they're a really good team. I mean, look, they have the, like two of the best forwards in the league and the best goalie, the best defenseman. And you could even argue point is up there of healthy as one of the top forwards in the league. So, I mean, their team is is ridiculous. Uh, Colorado, 79% against St. Louis, 20%. I guess the math, there must be some rounding in that math there, because that's actually 
percent. <laughs> and the last one is the oh here it is Rangers. Here I'm gonna let it go. Rangers fifty six percent. No, yeah, people are voting with their heart on that yeah. one. We need that first round pick for the Jets. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully fifty six percent of people are uh, are right when it comes to that. Yeah. Hey, um, I did see a, uh, who was it that asked about the beer bats in, uh, in chat? Who is it here? Uh, Huss. Oh yeah. David, the fantasy. What's up, Dave? Did you try the beer bat this weekend? No. And the reason for that was, was that, um, I was at the moose games, um, on Friday and Sunday. And then listen, I was pretty invested in those three game sevens. However, I'll be getting out to the game either tomorrow night or Wednesday night. There is an 11 a.m. game on Thursday. If you've got the day off, might be a great time to check it out. I think there'll be a lot of school kids there having fun. But Zach Wynn, I sat with Zach yesterday at the at the Moose game. Uh, they were out for a couple of the games on the weekend, and he did give me the insider's report. The beer bats were a huge hit. They were everywhere at the game. And then they also, Remus, once you're finished drinking the beer and you have the bat, become a great tool to make noise and uh, annoy the other team. And the banging of the beer bats was very prominent in the late innings of the home opener on Friday. I want one of those nacho helmets too. I want to yes. try that. So, and the gold eyes looking pretty fresh in their new Jersey seeing that. So I, I'll have to get out to a game for sure. That's on my, I don't think I did last year um, for whatever reason, but one weekend game, I'd like to take my son out for sure. I don't know if I'll sit still, but you pump him with enough, Food, oh, maybe yeah. he'd be interested. You fill up that beer bat with the Slurpee, the slushy bat, and yeah, then just no. let him let him go. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, we're not. We're not going there. He's <laughs> crazy enough as it is. Come on. You don't think a twenty-six ounce Slurpee for uh, for Evan would be uh, would be good to, to get him excited for the rest of the game? <laughs> I don't think he's ever had a Slurpee. Actually, maybe this summer we can walk and go get one. What sort of parenting is this? Come on. He's, he's a kid growing up in Winnipeg. It's part, isn't it part of the culture here? I mean, I thought that I thought they put Slurpees in the baby bottles just to make sure they know where they're from. <laughs> no, that's a good idea. But no, no, there's there's a lot of sugar in those. Come on, I can't, can't. Been on I my be training table here. for years. I gotta be, um, I gotta be careful here. I don't want hey, to go to sleep. Um, so folks tomorrow we'll, uh, we'll definitely hook up with the ice in the next few days, set up that series, hopefully going to get a couple people more involved in scouting. It can really come and tee up this series over the course of this week, uh, just with all the talent on both the ice and the oil Kings, uh, we'll definitely hook up with some friends in both Calgary and Edmonton for the battle of Alberta. And I'm going to be paying close attention as well to what's happening in Florida. I'm sure we'll get down there as well. Um, and with the latest, of course, on the Winnipeg jets coaching search and more, We'll uh, hit hockey and much more tomorrow with Mike McIntyre. And uh, I guess I joked that the CFL is on the suspended list right now. I mean, we'll be talking about it. It'll be a frustrating conversation if they don't get it done anytime soon. But we certainly will be all over that as well. But uh, make sure to join us tomorrow. Tell a friend about Winnipeg Sports Talk. Thanks again to uh, everyone that's joining us consistently, all you OGs out there, but as well as so many new people that have found the channel over the past few weeks. We've had a real nice bump. Uh, really coming out of that Vegas trip uh, right through the end of the NHL regular season. Uh, big thanks to Tim Campbell, who joined us, Jeff Hamilton as well. And of course, again, congratulations to the Moose and Daniel Fink on a great season. Disappointing end yesterday in game five against the Milwaukee Admirals. But overall, certainly for the Moose, as we mentioned, they showed a lot of jam 
which you know hopefully can translate into the big club coming up next uh, next season. We'll be back tomorrow live at 1 p.m. with more on the Stanley Cup playoffs and the offseason for the Winnipeg Jets and hopefully the upcoming season for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thanks to all the sponsors. Thanks to you for making us a part of your day, gang. Have a great night tonight. Figure out something else to do because the Stanley Cup playoffs are back tomorrow with round two. It should be great, and we'll be talking about it tomorrow here on WST. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.